Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy, episode 288. Listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door. I'm Captain Jeff, your host, broadcasting live from Studio 1A in the APG Headquarters building in Roswell, Georgia, a northern Atlanta suburb. In today's episode, justice served to unruly passenger and a baggage handler, several Indian pilots and crew members likely to be grounded, pilot falls from helicopter, more news, your feedback and the latest Plane Tales installment, The Hunger Winter. So get all settled in. Tray tables and CPACs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on, Flight 288 is ready for pushback. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast. I am a captain for a major U.S. legacy airline, and... Joining me, also a captain for a major airline in Europe, flying the wad bodies, a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF pilot, and uh, just an all-around great person and birthday boy, Captain Nick. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. I heard you slip that in. Yeah, another year older. Um, and d- delighted to be back on the show as usual. Looking forward to a good one. Just uh, just flown my sorry backside on my birthday from uh, London to New York. And I was going to go out uh, with the whole crew, buy them all drinks. We're going to have a big party. There's a rooftop bar just outside the hotel. And I gave that all up just so I could come on the show today. Ah, uh, the royal sacrifice. We all Absolutely. appreciate it so much. There you go. But oh. thanks for having me as usual. Oh, it's our it's all our pleasure. And also joining us a Harley Davidson driver, a former regional pilot and now major airline pilot and we we call him Captain Dana Colton because heck, he is going to be a captain really really soon. Hey Dana. Hello and happy birthday there Captain Nick. Uh- Great to see you joining us and not celebrating too heartily, but I know you you will at some point during the show have a have a toast to, to you, I'm sure. But great to be back. Seems like it's been forever since I've been on. Uh, just uh, It's been a crazy August, and uh, up until September here, uh, it's been crazy. So looking forward to a great show. Going to be a short show for me tonight. Have uh, plans later on I couldn't get out of. So here we uh, will uh, have some fun for the short time I'm here. But great to be back. And great to see both of you again, as always. So what do you mean we're going to toast him at some point in the show? Are you kidding me? Let's do it now. Well, I don't don't have anything here to drink. I'm going to drink. (laughs) Have some of mine, Davis. Wait, let me take the pens out first. (laughs) Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Nick. Birthday to you. Oh, yeah. Come on now. Let's pick it up. 
made up for going out with 12 beautiful girls <laughs> wow and, uh, anyway, wow I out with them you know what i don't know about that you know life is a lot about choices nick and it's pretty much all about choices and i think you've made the wrong choice <laughs> i think so too yeah, I'm, I'm beginning to regress it now but <laughs> do you want to just go ahead and make it a really short show and then you can uh, join up with the rest of your uh, gang uh, i think wow. they've probably all gone to bed now they know there's no free beer uh-huh. <laughs> That's the way you get them to go out with you. Okay. <laughs> Hang on. I mean, I'm a 63-year-old fat airline pilot. <laughs> yes. Uh, no, no, no. I'm the fat one. Uh, oh, see. wait. Hold on. Hold on. Time. <laughs> Is this a contest? On Come on. Let's see. Yeah. You know what? Hey, you know, Fred. You know Fred, right? Fred Sampson oh, out there Fred, in Northern yeah. California. He posted something on Slack that I just uh, I find extremely offensive. Oh. It, w- it was an article that... <laughs> talked about beer especially hops in beer and ipas especially about man boobs you know getting man boobs and uh and beer bellies and everything else i'm thinking bring on the man boobs that's i'm all for it exactly right okay i'll I'll drink ipa till i need a a double d (laughs) hey i'm already there i'm i've got the man's ear on see (laughs) i'm gonna go for the man's ear uh, like in uh, the uh, that episode of Seinfeld. Anyway, um, oh, speaking of birthdays, th- uh, today is your actual birthday, the ninth day of the ninth month, and uh, we had somebody uh, send in something special, uh, kind of to commemorate your birthday. Nick, you want to hear it? Oh yeah, love to. Okay, here we go. The old curmudgeon. I remember his feedback well. Always eloquent, always topical, and very often funny too. I remember hearing his voice for the first time. So well-spoken, so traditionally British. I would look forward to his feedback and hope he would write in weekly. After a while, I learned that the old curmudgeon was Captain Nick Anderson, former RAF fast jet pilot and current captain on a major UK-based international airline. I imagined him as a perfect British gentleman. There's this old story about a proper British gentleman who's invited to a formal party in the USA to celebrate the 18th birthday of the daughter of an American business associate. While there, he meets this stunning young lady, making the most of a strapless evening gown, and who's wearing this magnificent necklace. Gentleman that he is, he asks her to dance. As they're dancing, the necklace comes loose and falls down her dress. The young woman says to him, My necklace has fallen down my dress before it falls out and gets stepped on here on this crowded dance floor. You need to reach down the back of my dress and get it. This proper British gentleman is completely embarrassed. But the chivalrous man that he is, he can't refuse this young woman's request. But reaching down the back of her dress is not what a British gentleman should do on a public dance floor. Reluctantly, he does as requested. He reaches in, but tells his dance partner that he can't find the necklace. The young lady says, it's right there, just a bit further down. Move your hand down further. Still dancing, he reaches down further, and the woman says, almost there, just a bit more. This British gentleman turns bright red with embarrassment, but does as requested. 
Feeling totally awkward, mortified by this public display, he says to her, I feel a perfect ass. Never mind that, the young woman says. Just get the necklace. <laughs> That's the kind of man I thought Nick would be. Well, that was until I met him anyway. You see, Nick's a gentleman of conviction and would never do anything to disappoint a stunning young lady. He would have dived in headfirst to retrieve her necklace if he had to. But that's the kind of man he is, always at your service. You see, <laughs> when I first learned about Captain Nick, I knew him as the RAF fast jet pilot, who at the sound of the klaxon would climb into his F-4 Phantom II and chase down those Russian bear bums who were trying to infiltrate NATO airspace. I thought of him as a heroic kind of guy I wanted to meet. Then I got to meet him, got to know him, got to see him dance with beautiful Barbara Parrish while he was wearing only his newly acquired underwear. And don't try to deny it, Nick. I have the pictures to prove it. <laughs> well, that's when I realized that I'd go chasing bear bums of any nationality with Nick any time. I'm happy to call him my friend. So happy birthday, my friend Captain Nick, and many, many more. For the Airline Pilot Guy, here in Portland, Maine, this is your main man, Micah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Very nice. That was awesome. Beautiful. <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to work out wow. how come that necklace didn't fall down the front of her dress. <laughs> I don't know. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and did Micah say that he'd go uh, chasing bare bums with you anywhere? Is, yes, I he think, would, apparently. I so. think that's what he just said. Yeah. Well, actually, I, with that in mind, uh, Micah also sent me a beautiful birthday card. Now, for those on the video, I'm just going to show it. It's a fabulous painting. And uh, it shows an Imperial Airways short S8 uh, Calcutta flying boat, the city of Khartoum, resting on the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if you remember, Jeff, but um, at uh, Wings Over Pittsburgh, um, Micah had uh, his friend with him, who um, whose name is right here, and I'm just Eric. That's it. Anyway, Eric has now uh, started a line of uh, cards, um, and this is the very first. Uh, so uh, he's licensed some of his uh, artwork to this company that makes cars, and this is their first aircraft product. Wow. So he was kind enough to send me this as a birthday card, which I thought was very touching because he knows I, I have a thing about flying boats, and uh, this is fabulous. So that was a great birthday gift, uh, apart from your wonderful feedback. Thank you, Micah. That's great. I uh, really appreciate that. And very apt also, because um, of the subject of that feedback, I'm wearing a T-shirt, which Adam Spink sent, and it's a uh, – I'll, I'll stand up a little bit so you can see it. All right. It's a – Nice. Uh, it's an nice. IF um, Final Pirates helmet with a red bear, um, bear bomber, um, reflected in the uh, visor. And underneath it says in – sort of uh, anglicized Russian, uh, it says bear hunter, which I think is absolutely lovely. So I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Uh, Adam. Gary loves beer, said it uh, here. It says, how appropriate for the discussion. <laughs> yes, A-S-S-J, perfect for the discussion because that was uh, what was on the uh, card's N number. Oh, really? G-A-S-S-J? Ask J? No, no, no. Not quite right. Double A-S-J. 
Double A S J. Oh, okay. We got yeah. the uh, oh, okay. one too so many S's and okay. not nice enough X's. <laughs> nice try, Gary loves beer. <laughs> and of course, uh, I've received lots of uh, very nice comments on Facebook and uh, Twitter. So thank you, everyone uh, who uh, made comment. And I don't know how the secret of my birthday got out, but much appreciated. I kept mine really secret. Yeah, you did. Uh, when <laughs> yes, when did. was it? Last month. Oh, okay. and we did a show. We did, actually did a show on the day. So, oh well, you don't need to be so modest next time. Well, we'll figure it out next no, time. We'll cover no, no, it. it's okay. Oh, speaking of speaking of drinks, mm-hmm. were we speaking of drinks? Yes. Well, <laughs> oh, one has just been delivered. Thank very you, very nice. Oh, uh, well done, sir. Oh, mm. Mike is in the uh, chat room. Yes, and um, so he is reminding me that the card is from Bella Terra Publishing. Ah, uh, so Bera, Bella Terra Bella Maps dot com. Very nice, uh, and it is it is actually a beautiful painting. It, I'd love to see the original, but it's uh, it's a gorgeous card anyway. Very, uh, you know, it's as you would imagine from the Sea of Galilee. It's full of uh, oranges of uh, the sand and the beautiful water. It really is very um, uh, thought provoking. Lovely, thank yeah. you, Micah. Well, he's a classy job, dude. Micah. Classy guy. I can't wait to meet him one of these days once once I get a... Oh, you love him. He's great. Yeah, you Portland Union Overnight, which has been elusive, and I'm very senior now, and it's been very elusive. So yeah, I've been trying to get him. No, they're not. Yeah. Hey, um, have you guys heard that there's a like a big uh, storm going on here in the U.S.? Mm. Or about to oh, uh, make in landfall in the, the White House? Yes. In uh, South oh, Florida? Something else. Oh, down there. Yeah. Yes. Hurricane oh, Irma. <laughs> um, so that's about, that's going on, about to make landfall. And uh, I was, uh, we were going to record this episode on Thursday. In fact, all of us were available. And uh, then I got home from my trip and uh, my wife was talking to my son on the phone and I could tell it, you know, it sounded like pretty serious conversation going on. I said, what's going on? And she said, well, uh, Chris is driving home from Orlando to get away because the projected track of the hurricane was going to head up toward Orlando and he uh, would rather not be there. And I thought that's pretty smart. And he had already uh, headed over toward uh, the Florida Turnpike and heading up toward I- He was on I-75, and it was basically just crawling. It wasn't moving. And it, I looked on the Google Maps to see the traffic flow, and it was bad. It was very, very red. And uh, so I started looking at uh, different options for him. And I said, how much gas do you have? And he said, about a half a tank. And I said, okay, we're going to have to find some place for you to get gas, and we have to figure out how we're going to get you to Atlanta. But we're going to avoid I-75 and I-95 in doing that. So I guided him for the next, I don't know, I was probably on the phone with him for about the next seven hours, uh, kind of uh, guiding him through all these back roads and highways and state roads and all that kind of stuff and helping him find gas stations that were open. You know, the ones that he said, oh, there's here's a gas station. There's no line. And then he goes, oh. Because it's not open. <laughs> All the pumps are covered with bags. And so uh, he finally uh, found a place to refuel. Uh, I got him to stop a couple of times just to make sure, just to kind of give him that peace of mind that he was going to have gasoline for the entire journey. So the the drive from Orlando that normally takes him seven hours took 12. and uh, But he finally made it home, and everybody's happy, and he slept for 12 hours straight after after he had a beer and something to eat for dinner he crashed and uh, slept for nine or 12 hours 
And uh, so all is all is good here in the Nielsen household. But uh, a lot of people heading up from Florida, uh, especially up uh, to the Atlanta area, staying with friends and family. And I think, um, Dana, you know something about that? Yeah, actually, I do. Uh, I have uh, my buddy Dave. His parents live in the Palm Beach area, and we finally were able to talk them in. Uh, his father was being very um, stubborn is the word and was not wanting to get on the road and come up here. So they finally decided to hit the road, took them um, until 5 o'clock this morning. They left yesterday at just about noontime oh. to get into the Atlanta area. That, that's not as bad as my other friend, uh, Melissa. Um, and so they're going to be spending the next several days here in my house. But fortunately, we were able to get him. He's, he's uh, probably late 70s, early 80s, and not the best of health. So, you know, if if they had lost uh, power and or had uh, limited emergency services, et cetera, et cetera, it would not have been a good scenario for them. So we're glad, you know, we can provide. Had, uh, you know, other family and friends to try to talk them into coming up here. We have plenty of room, uh, but yeah. they opted to stay. And uh, my friend, uh, Melissa, she left uh, about 1 o'clock the day before, and it took her two days to get out of the state of Florida. Um, so, and she's, uh, happily up in, at her boyfriend's family's house in Alabama, which is actually kind of where the hurricanes <laughs> yeah. be going. So shifting, I, I, I texted her early and I said, guess what? The hurricane followed you. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was crazy. Just getting home from the parking lot when I got home Thursday afternoon, uh, it's amazing how many, uh, Florida plates I saw and ended up just hopping off the highways and, uh, went all back roads home, just like, uh, just like your son. Yeah. Um, and fortunately I know the back way. I mean, there's about 20 different ways to get home, but there's a lot of people in that have come up in, you know, Florida, one of the biggest things, I don't not Everybody knows uh, the geography, but Florida, there's only one way in and out really. And that's going North. Uh, there is no East West until you get to North Florida uh, until you get to I 10. So mm-hmm. it, the backups are crazy. They ultimately ended up uh, opening up uh, all northbound, uh, highways to northbound traffic on the southbound lanes so to help expedite people getting out of the state yeah i think in georgia they opened up uh, i-16 they call it contra flow where uh, everything is going one direction away from the uh, atlantic um yeah so you know the the storm track uh, projection keeps changing richard says he's staying in orlando and i'm sure that orlando is going to be fine we'll probably get some you know high winds and a lot of rain but it's really the aftermath of these storms that are the most trying uh, in most cases unless you're in the direct uh, line of uh, uh you know for the brunt of the storm because uh it's just the aftermath of all these big uh catastrophes is just it's painful to live through, especially if you don't have any power. And uh, so I think uh, um, his mom, uh, my son's, <laughs> my wife, uh, talked him into leaving. He's got a little cat, uh, and he kind of was feeling responsible for making sure that the cat was going to be okay, too. So, And he took some of his possessions and, and uh, loaded them up in the Jeep and, and headed home. So I think he's planning on staying home for at least a week, week and a half, maybe two weeks before he heads back. Well, that was very sensible and a great thing you did to stick with him for so long, Jeff. It must have been real tough for him. I know he didn't have much sleep before his drive. Yeah. And the last thing you could have uh, ever wanted was him to fall asleep while he was trying to make that journey. I really was worried that he was going to fall asleep. So I was just kind of in his ear the whole time, asking him questions about what he sees and kind of following him along on uh, Google Maps, which is kind of fun, actually. I I could see, you know, okay, this road, is this the next road you're coming by? Yep, just past that one. And uh, so that kept him alert 
all the way home. So uh, anyway, and then we thought we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, record on Sunday morning again. It looked like that was going to be a good time for all of us, including Steph, to uh, to join us on the uh, on the show for this uh, week. And uh, I um, ended up getting picking up a uh, some extra flying. A uh, green slip. I think you've heard me talk about green slips. That's basically getting double the amount of pay that we normally get for flying a trip. And I got a three-day trip leaving tomorrow morning, which ended up screwing up the scheduled recording tomorrow morning. So, Is that uh, a technical term, Jeff? What? Screwing up? Yeah, screwing yeah. up the schedule. Yes, screwing up <laughs> <Okay>. the schedule. <laughs> right, I just wanted to... Yes, very technical term. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it was hard for me to turn down, and I thought, you know, I need to help out the company and uh, get in there, do some flying. And oh, you're uh, such a nice chap for your company. Yeah, I just do, do what I can. <laughs> so it's going to be a busy week, Monday through or Sunday through Tuesday, and then I go out on my regular trip on Wednesday through Friday, so it's going to be six days in a row, but... Anyway, um, so I'm glad that we were able to at least to get uh, the three of us together. Uh, Steph, we miss you. Uh, sorry you couldn't make it. But uh, anyway, um, let's see. What else were we going to talk about as far as Hurricane Irma? Anything else? Well, all I was going to mention was I was taking a look at some posts at uh, the light aircraft trying to get out of the various airports out of uh, Florida. And there were some amazing uh, flight 24 tracks uh i think uh, one i saw just up the panhandle 43 light aircraft all at 8,000 feet all in a great long daisy chain heading up towards safety and then another video uh, that someone had taken uh, over an airfield and there i mean i've seen jfk looking busy good lord there were aircraft queued right around i'm I'm, there must have been 50 or 70 aircraft in a queue the the guy just tracked all these airplanes just queuing trying to get off uh for about a minute and uh, i was going well i just lost count how many airplanes there are queued to take off there that was must have been a nightmare yeah yeah uh, go ahead dana yeah i was gonna say my buddy uh Really nice guy. He he's also with Acme, and he owns uh, a partnership share in a three ten, and he had put out on Facebook. Facebook's a great uh, social media and, and way to to share. And he he put out that he had two extra seats. He was going down in his three ten on a rescue mission to help evacuate people. And, and oh, okay, uh, he, yeah, oh yeah, he was just helping pay for gas, and and that was it. And uh, he uh, he went down there, and and he's one of those guys that you saw on on the. Uh, on the queue, I'm sure, and, and uh, really good. And, and also, uh, Acme sent down a 747 to Orlando. I don't know if anybody caught that, but uh, out of Detroit, they sent 74 down to Orlando, and, and they posted that they were going to cap the fare at a, at a very reasonable price and not charge any more. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, pretty, um, pretty neat. We got some uh, critical flight operations updates uh, at Acme regarding uh, extra sections that they were putting on both to uh, Orlando and Tampa to uh, try to help uh, employees, uh, especially employees, get out of the area and evacuate. And, uh, and they also, I'm sure many of you saw the, uh, the, the, the posts regarding the 737 out of JFK that flew there to Puerto Rico. And uh, right before Irma hit Puerto Rico, uh, they landed uh, – dumped some people off, picked up a full load of passengers and flew back to uh, New York right kind of before the uh, 
big eye of the hurricane hit, and uh, there there's a nice picture on one of the uh, social media sites of the uh, 737 track, and it's kind of between one of the, uh, the the major part of the storm and the outer bands. So that was uh, pretty cool. So a lot of uh, a lot of companies are doing this kind of thing. A lot of hero uh, heroism out there, you know, people helping everybody. And this is what we're all about, really. When times get bad, that's when the true, you know, uh, you know, what's inside of you comes out. And that's uh, very cool to see. Marianna asked a question, where did all the Florida planes go? Um, more than likely, if, if for the airlines, they probably flew them out of harm's way into their hubs or mm-hmm. to remote stations that had uh, extra space for, you know, once, once you have all these aircraft on the ground, uh, air, airports run out of uh, uh, parking space real quick. So yep. uh, the airline can send it either to the hub and, and, and remote park them or in or, and that helps with the, the startup, you know, when the airline wants to start back up after the operation. But they certainly fly all the aircraft uh, out of harm's way. And a lot of those uh, general aviation aircraft coming out of Florida doing the same thing, pretty much just flying the aircraft out of harm's way so that, that uh, um, they're not positioned where they're not going to be affected by the hurricane you know you mentioned something earlier about you know all the, the effects like in orlando um as far as uh, getting hit by the hurricane which will be tropical force at that point or cat one uh the bigger problem i think is is going to be as this thing moves inland a lot of the houses are not built quite as strong to you know to to um be able to deal with the winds and also as you move further north and inland the trees here you know with all the leaves still on them uh, they're not as flexible as palm trees tend to be down down south so there's going to be i think a lot of power outages up through the you know the uh, georgia alabama um, Mm -hmm. carolina area too because of the the trees uh, being more susceptible and we've had a lot of rain, so yep. the uh, the uh, the soil is quite wet too. So I think we're going to see a pretty big impact, kind of like what we saw in Houston as well. Well, in the next few days, I'm going to get to uh, practice some crosswind landings uh, because of you know because the airplane I fly in and out of Atlanta is uh, kind of a common thing, and uh, we're uh, in Atlanta supposed to get the brunt of the tropical storm. At that point, it's going to be a tropical storm, no longer a hurricane, but tropical force winds. Uh, on Monday, I believe, and maybe Monday night and into early Tuesday morning. So I'll certainly let you know how that all works out. Uh, it's going to be an exciting three days, I think. But um, anyway, in the uh, lane, you're gonna uh, earn your pay. You're going to earn your money. I'm actually going to earn my money for a change. Yes. Right? Uh, lane Street uh, says that those uh, those 172s were out of Embry Riddle, and uh, they were they were heading up. And uh, Comanche Sioux, hello, Comanche Sioux. Uh, she said that she evacuated their um, Comanche. Um, trying to scroll back here on the uh, in the chat room, uh, they they flew it from South Florida, and she said it was a very busy in Florida airspace yesterday. Uh, I bet it was. I, I've landed in a typhoon, Jeff, in a Shanghai, and uh, all the way across, they were giving uh, over forty-seven knots across the runway, hmm. and um, magically, when I got onto the tower frequency. They called the wind just inside my crosswind limits. Isn't that this? It's coincidental how that all works out. Yeah, I know. It's really weird. And I guess they thought they were doing me a favor. But uh, actually, when we tried to put the airplane down, we did. We went around the first approach. When we tried to put the airplane down the second time, it was probably the the most concerned I've ever been. And um, 
you know, at the end of it, I wished to hell they'd just told the truth and told me what the actual win was because I could have made a, a safe decision. But as it was, it was in limits, so I assumed it would be okay-ish. But uh, my father was waiting for me in Shanghai. He'd, he'd um, come up from Australia, and I was going to take him on to London when I did my return flight. And I got into the hotel. He was sitting there waiting for me. He took one look at me, and he said, you're right. <laughs> I, you look like a ghost. I said, yeah, I said, no. He said, uh, uh, as you could imagine from my father, he says, you, you know, I've got a bottle of whiskey in my room. Ah. <laughs> And I said, that, that sounds perfect. And we, we went up and uh, and I t- told him the story and we <laughs> drank that bottle of whiskey. And uh, then I felt a lot better. <laughs> much, much better. Much, much better. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, Comanche Sue says she's just up the road from me. Comanche, come on, come on down to Roswell. And uh, you can join me here behind the microphone. Oh, yeah. You, you, we're going to be here for three, three hours. Yeah, You've got plenty of, plenty of time. Plenty of time. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, so, yeah. yes, sir? I, I was going to say, I had, <clears throat> pardon me, um, just lost my voice there. Uh, I had the distinct opportunity going to Nassau into a hurricane, Category 1. Nice. Um, yeah. It, it, but the, uh, oh, my God, I'm losing my voice all of a sudden. Hold on one second. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, you're funny, Jeff. Uh, sorry. So yeah, the the winds were, but the the winds were straight down the runway. So they opted to send us, and it was uh, I've never seen a ground speed on a on a Mad Dog so low. We were doing about a hundred and uh, hundred and four hundred three miles an hour over the ground, or knots over the ground. Um, and when we touched down, we had about a forty five to fifty knot headwind. So it was it was crazy. I think it, it was, was absolutely. I think it was last year uh, I was flying into Savannah, and I think it was one of the most hair-raising scary approaches i've ever done in my life and it was a uh, it was a retreating tropical storm actually going through savannah it wasn't even a hurricane and uh it was a handful so i'm i guess i better make sure i get a good night's sleep the next few nights make sure that i have all my wits about me for going and flying through this kind of weather but i'll let you it know as i said yeah it's gonna be fun if you want some extra wits i'll send some down please i could always use extra wits of course. <laughs> if I was nice, I'd come out and fly with you. You know, you could have a really crappy FO with you. Oh, yeah. Well, that's all I need. Hey, hang, hang on, guys. We don't want to get rid of half the show in one flight. That would be no good at all. There's got to be a rule against Steph it. and me. <laughs> um, anyway, well, enough talk about the hurricane. I'm sure we're going to touch on uh, the uh, last hurricane, Harvey, that did all the flooding, and maybe a little bit about this one as well in the feedback section of the show. So I think we could move on and talk a little bit about something happy, uh, and that was uh, a uh, meetup that you had in the San Francisco Bay Area. So I'd call it uh, San Francisco Meetup 2. Absolutely. And uh, thanks to Landon, because Landon uh, organized this, picked a great place, an orgasmic brewery. Um, <laughs> wow. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, it might have been orgasmic. Was it that good, actually? Yeah, it was. It was very good. Okay. Uh, very nice. Good beer. Yeah. And uh, I think there's a little bit of chit chat somewhere. So. There is. Let's hear it. Hi there, APGS. It's the old pilot here. And we're in uh, the second of my recent San Francisco meetups. And this one is at, um, where are we, Landon? Uh, so we are at the Santa Cruz Mountain Brewery in Santa Cruz, California. And it is uh, definitely orgasmic, as uh, Nick has uh, liked to put it on uh, APG 287. But uh, yeah, we're having a great time. 
Uh, Natasha and I are out here with our two dogs, Guinness and Chico. They're out here relaxing. They just got fun, had fun at the beach. Excuse me, that's two beers. Um, just had fun at the beach, uh, nice and sandy and, uh, and gross, but uh, very, very sweet. And uh, got Fred Sampson here, Connie Edwards, and we got a new guy that is absolutely freaking amazing. His name is Jaime Luke, and he's really, really cool. Look for him on the next uh, How I Got Here uh, on the next How I Got Here uh, podcast, or excuse me, installment, and uh, edit that out, please. <laughs> well, it would be nice. Uh, we need to get that wonderful guy who does those uh, to actually do one on him. It's just that we've been listening to his backstory uh, from the uh, Air Force of Honduras uh, and um, through the uh, U.S. Academy, uh, paid for by uh, his government and then back and. Uh, um, then finally he's uh, made his way to, to the US to try and become an airline pilot here. But uh, he's got a bit of a way to go, but his backstory is, is brilliant. I hope one day we'll uh, find out some more about him. Um, that, tell us a bit more about what you've been up to at the moment, Landon, and thank you very much again for organizing this meetup here. Uh, well, lately I've been uh, working a new job in uh, brand protection. So it sounds uh, pretty, pretty weird a title, but uh, it's basically keeping new products, uh, their market disruptors, uh, basically secret. And I do it, uh, do it somewhere in the Bay Area. I can't really tell you why. Uh, it's kind of a little different from my law enforcement uh, background that I've had for the past 10 years, but uh, kind of sort of the same, using the same using a little bit of the same uh, skill sets and uh, transferring it into a new career. But I'm having, I'm having a lot of fun. But uh, no more fun than uh, meeting up with everybody in the APG community. And I've developed a, uh, a new term for uh, people who don't quite yet have APG syndrome, but uh, it's getting there. It's, it's called APGIV, okay? Uh, Steph can probably uh, give you a more uh, better clarification on that. Uh, that's if you're uh, 100 episodes or more into it, but not quite 287, 287 episodes, so... Uh, you might have it. Most people might have it. Uh, I think Miami Hick. Uh, I think Miami Hick might have uh, APGIV. Or does he have syndrome? I'm not totally sure. Well, I don't know, but uh, I think Miami Rick has managed to find a cure. Ah, oh, yes. Actually, Miami Hick found a cure. Go around the cylinder. No, no. No, no, definitely Miami Rick. We haven't seen him for a while. That's such a shame. Anyways, thank you very much, Nick, for organizing this meetup. And it's absolutely great to hear from you. And brilliant. Uh, I'm just going to lean across now to uh, my friend Fred. Hello, Fred. Hi, Nick. Uh, anything to say, Fred? Uh, we're friends now? Well, I'd like to think so. Is, is that a bit presumptuous of me? No, I'd like to think so as well. We had a nice day flying today, and now we're trying to stay out of the heat. No, I didn't mention that. So you took me flying again. This time, uh, like in a on a tandem bicycle. <laughs> Way back in time, we took a uh, the, the lowest technology airplane we could find. Doesn't even have metal or skin on it. it has fabric and has a stick, a throttle, and not much else. So it was a good time. It was a good time. And I now actually I didn't then ask you uh, a bit earlier. But uh, Fred gave me a bit of a, a chance to grab the controls. Uh, are you going to critique my uh, flying skills now, Fred? I'll send you a report, and there's a few things we have to work on, but overall I think it was okay. Oh, okay. I, I shall sit in trepidation waiting for that report. <laughs> oh, dear. I'm a bit worried now. Um, we didn't crash, though. 
We didn't crash, no, Nick. We had, we had fun. Uh, we flew around low and slow. Uh, had a little fun at the airport. You know, just standard aviation fare for, uh, for a nice weekend here in San Francisco. It was fabulous. And if that report isn't very good, I'll just put up the video of your landing. Um, okay. I'm going to move around the table here. Uh, the, uh, the next person on my list is Connie, who's sitting here. Connie, what have you been up to uh, since we last spoke? Oh, gosh, yeah, I just saw you, uh, what was August 12th, you were last through the Bay Area, and we met up. So since then, uh, I did a little road trip up to Oregon. I got to go up to McMinnville to see the uh, Evergreen Air Museum and uh, the Wings and Waves Water Park, which was a lot of fun. That's the one with the 747 and the uh, water slides that come out of it. So that was uh, different, certainly, a lot of fun. And then I actually stumbled across the uh, Tillamook Air Museum up in Tillamook County um, after a little cheese tasting at the Tillamook cheese factory um, and uh, and so that was really neat that was in one of those uh, World War II uh, dirigible hangars so uh, large old uh, wooden construction and um, they had uh, lots of different interesting things in there and I think my favorite part was they had uh, a mini guppy or like the super guppy uh, cargo plane uh, out in front painted with the Tillamook Air Museum out front so that was uh, that was a fun little thing to stumble upon and uh, yeah just trying to beat the heat here it's a it's a hot summer weekend, so. So you found the best use for a 747 ever, <laughs> jumping out of it on a water slide? Yeah, cut some holes out of it and, uh, yeah, shoot down some tubes into some cold water. It's, uh, yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> well, that sounds like the average uh, trip for a customer on a 747, so uh, that sounds perfect. <laughs> I suppose so. Uh, no, Connie is an absolutely convinced. But you're quite right, the weather here has been beautiful, hasn't it? Uh, it's been good, it's been good, yeah. Labor Day weekend, uh, going out on a high note. Excellent. Now I'm moving on around the table here and I'm going to have to uh, disturb a conversation because we've got a new listener here uh, who hasn't been uh, on before and I'm going to ask him to send some feedback in because this is a fascinating bloke. Uh, I've got a member of, uh, or ex-member of the uh, Honduras Air Force here, uh, a fighter pilot, a man who's done a lot of uh, jet flying and who is now trying to make his way into aviation in America. Now, for all our listeners, perhaps you'd like to introduce yourself. Uh, thank you, Captain Nick. Uh, well, uh, it's... Uh it's been a it's been a ride. My name is uh, Jaime Jaime Luque, and then uh, uh, I came to the U.S. about two years ago. Um, I flew with the Honduras Air Force um, from uh, 2006 till uh, two years ago. Flew the T-27 to Cano there. Um, I spent some time in Columbus, just like uh, Captain Jeff, in, uh, and I flew the Raytheon Beechcraft T-6 there. Then I went back to my country, flew uh, a tweet on steroids back home, the A-37. Uh, then, you know, it was, it was time for me to uh, uh, either continue on the Air Force or uh, get on my way. Decided to uh, make my way here to the U.S. and trying to find my way here in commercial aviation, hopefully soon. Now, that sounds a fascinating journey. I'm intrigued by your flying history, and I'd love you to send some feedback in, a little more information about exactly what you've been doing. But now you're uh, faced with uh, the prospect of trying to get into uh, aviation in the United States, and you're looking for some help, perhaps, from any of my listeners who might know how you can uh, use the hours you've gained so far to help you uh, get various certificates. Yes, uh, I need uh, all the help that uh, our, my fellow APGers uh, can give me uh, any information on uh, 
how to uh, get all my my flying hours, you know, be uh, certified, you know, to be used here. And uh, I'm actually shopping for uh, a flight school that will take me. I, I'm sure there are plenty of flight schools who want to have your money. Uh, you've just got to pick the right one uh, for what you want to do. Yes, and uh, I'm, I'm looking uh, here uh, in the Bay Area. I'm working here in the Bay Area full time. Uh, as in right now, as, a, as an Uber driver. So I'm, uh, I'm driving people around, and then uh, hopefully I'll get to fly them around. Well, that sounds fantastic, and we all wish you well. Jeff, uh, we're going to wind up here from this fantastic brewery. Had a marvelous afternoon. Thanks again, Philandum, for organizing it, and we'll catch you guys next time. Oh, man. Sounds like you had a great time. I wish that, that I was out there with you. And, uh, uh, you, you would have enjoyed it, Jeff. That uh, picture that you good. sent as well uh, is, is really, really good. A great picture of the group uh, sitting at a table. Were you outside? Uh, absolutely. The weather was just beautiful. We're in the shade and the beer was uh, was flowing. And uh, yeah, we had a great time. And uh, the conversation was just so fun because uh, everyone there was just wholeheartedly wanting to talk, uh, you know, airplanes. And uh, you know how much we like doing that. Except for Landon's um, wife, probably. <laughs> she's a fantastic, lovely lady. But uh, <laughs> or not I, wife? I, not wife? Excuse me. I'm pushing things. Fiance. Fiance. Exactly right. Yeah. But uh, I don't think she quite understands uh, Landon's fascination. <laughs> Actually, uh, we climbed into uh, a World War Two trainer, um, and uh, I, I'm a bit tired. So the the exact. I think it's a. Uh, it's a. Uh, I'm going to say a Voltaire. Um, Go ahead, mm, say it. Uh, a Voltaire Valiant or something. It's a, okay. a B7, B15, B13, something no like that. Uh, but it's it's uh, it's got a fixed undercarriage as opposed to like the Harvard and the other uh, similar ones that had retracting undercarriage. Anyway, um, he, I've got a great picture of him sitting in there. He just looks such at home uh, in that airplane. So, uh, you know, I think Landon's spirit is uh, in the air for sure. Awesome. So I look forward to uh, hearing uh, from, well, from Landon, of course, and uh, the, uh, the the new APGer that you met there at the uh, at the uh, meetup. Yeah, he had Luke. a fascinating history, and his because uh, he he was paid uh, by the Honduras Air Force to come across and train at uh, the U.S. Academy and uh, do a lot of flying there, and then he went back and flew back in Honduras. But, uh, of course, he did a considerable amount of flying in the United States. So the the kind of questions he was asking me, I couldn't answer, which was how much of his flying can he put towards his uh, certificates that he needs to become a commercial pilot? And uh, anyone who kind of understands the legality of that, I think he'd love to hear um, about that and whether basically what he can do to uh, to offset those hours against what he needs to do to get a commercial license. So uh, if anyone knows the ins and outs of that, uh, plus what he might do with his hours in the uh, Honduras Air Force, I think he'd really appreciate some uh, advice and help. So that reminded me of uh, when I was in pilot training in uh, the Air Force, Columbus Air Force Base, as he attended, uh, had a guy in my class uh, that was also from Honduras, and uh, he was... uh, going to fly the A-37, which is uh, basically a T-37, but instead of the old centrifugal flow engines that it came with, uh, they Cessna took those things out and put in T-38 engines and uh, without the afterburners. And so that became uh, quite a little rocket of an airplane. And uh, 
but I, I can't remember the guy's name right offhand. But anyway, so yeah, if anybody out there knows some of the answers to those questions, please contact us by heading over to feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. All right. Yeah, please, definitely. We're here to help our guys everywhere in the yes, in the APG community, and uh, that would be great. Hey, I had a meetup um, in Canton, Ohio, uh, just Woo-hoo. a few days ago, my last trip. And uh, here's a little bit of audio from that. Hey, hello. I'm uh, finally back. Not finally. I am back at my home away from home in Canton, Ohio, after spending a wonderful afternoon and early evening with Paul from Akron, he calls himself, but he's not actually not from Akron. He's from Warren, Ohio. And he drove down here with his aunt Betty and uncle George. And we just went to an amazing museum at the Canton Akron or Akron Canton regional airport called the maps. Although I didn't see many maps there. I was a little disappointed, but apparently that stands for what the military aviation what do we call that? Uh, something and something. P.S. <laughs> I think yeah, Betty knows what it is. Anyway, um, oh, Paul's going to look it up right now. Here we go. The does it have it on there? I don't think it does. It's where history takes flight. It's where history takes flight. Yeah, that's it Wait, let's ask Aunt Betty here. We're going to open up the door to the van. Aunt Betty, what was it? The military aviation. Maps. Yeah, we got the maps part. Thank you. Preservation. Preservation Society? Yes, that's it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with maps like the thing that you use to navigate, apparently. Anyway, we had a great time there looking at a lot of great old airplanes, including one of the airplanes I used to fly, the T-37B, one of the airplanes that uh, Nick used to fly, the uh, F-4 Phantom, and uh, lots of other good stuff there. So we uh, really had a good time there. And then we went over to the... Docks. Royal Docks Brewery, which you'd think would be like on the water somewhere, but it wasn't. It was nowhere near water, but it was really good. It was good beer, good food. Uh, what? The Impaler. The Impaler, yes. Uh, Vlad the Impaler was there. Like there, you know what? I never got a kind of that. It was a party. It was really that we good. A party that we missed yesterday, apparently. Anyway, we had a great time there, and uh, Eric uh, drove down. Eric Wolf uh, from Middlefield Ohio. Middlefield, Ohio, drove all the way down as well and met us, and we had uh, some beer and some uh, food and great conversation. So, uh, anyway, it's always uh, great to uh, visit with Paul. He usually drives up to meet me in uh, my Pittsburgh layovers, but this time, I don't know, is this a little bit closer or not? It's I'm right about in the, the same. Of yeah, Pittsburgh, whatever. That was uh, it was a treat in Betty. She is awesome. She is a, an amazing baker. She baked me a, a an apple pie. And tell us what uh, you... Halushki. Gesundheit. <laughs> is she sneezing or what? I don't know. Oh, no. It's some kind of a, it's some kind of a something noodles. that is cabbage and noodles, and it just tastes wonderful. I took a little sample of it. It's awesome. Anyway, so uh, thanks, everybody, for... Uh, you want to say anything to the uh, APG community? No, she says no. Okay. Anyway, thanks. <laughs> thanks for uh, putting up with us today. Had a great time. Paul, what do you want to say to the community? Uh, it's a great community, and uh, let's keep up the good work and fly and be safe. There you go.
What else could you want to say? All right, that's it. Captain Jeff out. Anyway, we had a great time. It was just a. It wasn't really a form a formal meetup. Uh, at the, uh, it, w- it wasn't anything planned. We didn't announce it or anything. But Paul uh, just saw that I was going to be in Canton, and because he lives very close by, he said, "Hey, if you don't mind, I'd like to you know meet up with you and have dinner and." I'm going to bring Aunt Betty and uh, maybe one of my uncles. I went, yeah, that sounds like like fun. So, um, again, I didn't realize we were going to go to uh, uh, an aviation museum, which was actually pretty amazing. We saw uh, one of Nick's old airplanes. Actually, it was a, an American version of the Phantom II, the Marine Corps. And uh, we saw a T-37B, and we saw a lot of uh, a lot of airplanes, a lot of fighters, F-100, uh F-84, F-86, uh, a lot of Navy jets. Uh, anyway, it was a pretty cool place, and you could actually go in and sit down in them. And We even sat in one of the— You the, could climb into them? Yeah, you could sit in the—actually, the, a couple of them I, I was—I thought that it was okay to do, but I, I, I looked down and I thought, I'm not sure that the uh, the ejection seat is actually safe. To, so I'm sure that was, but— <laughs> I'm thinking I don't want to sit down in here and then the thing fire off. So I didn't, uh, I didn't crawl in, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're really nice people. Everybody's volunteer there, uh, that, uh, works on these things and restores them. And inside they had an a four from the blue angels and they had a, um, a B 26, one of the, one of six remaining B 26, uh, marauders, um, in existence. And, uh, they have a lot of stuff there. So if you ever up in, Canton, Ohio, and you uh, want to uh, spend some time looking at some amazing airplanes there, head over to Maps. And again, it has nothing to do with the thing that has like, uh, you know, hills and roads and, you know, it's not like a map. It's uh, Military Aviation Preservation Society and uh, well worth your time. We spent about three hours just walking around and checking. Did you actually get it to climb into the F4, Jeff? I did not. That, That one was not open. They didn't have a little. Uh, I tried to get special people. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I thought, you know what, that thing's just too special for me. Yeah, that's only true. very. That's, I, I quite understand. It, you know. <laughs> anyway, it was. Uh, it, we had a good time, and uh, yeah, we went over to that uh, little brewery and uh, drank some great beer. And Eric Wolf came down from Middleton, Ohio, and uh, he uh, uh, is a great guy. Um, he is into. Hey, he he came to the uh, Wings over Pittsburgh, by the way. So I'm sure that you met him, uh, Captain. Sure. Nick. He uh, I guess his company now works in mostly in like helicopter aftermarket parts and that kind of thing. And uh, he's a fascinating fella. And uh, thank you very much, uh, Eric, for driving all the way down to meet up with us. It was a lot of fun. Okay, so that was my little quick impromptu meetup in Canton, Akron. And that might be for uh, that might be for you. Me. Call me for a minute. It's your birthday sure. call. Oh yeah, happy birthday! Happy birthday to you. Ah, it's that time to sounds take a good. sip of beer. Well, Jeff. Yes, sir. It's time for you to go. Time to go. Okay. Bye, well, Nick. Hey, um, thanks for uh, hanging out with us for a little bit, um, Dana. Appreciate that, and have a great dinner. And thanks for being such a a great citizen and helping out people and uh, from evacuees and stuff from Florida. That's all you can do is be nice in life. Yep. That gets you a whole lot further in life than being a mean person. That so. is true. So get out of here, you jerk. All right. I'm, I'm happy to be a jerk. <laughs> I'm only kidding.
All right, we'll see everybody. I'm on vacation this week, so I should have no reason why I can't be on the show. Okay. <laughs> the well, end of the week. So we're uh, gonna plan to do something at the end of the week. I think. All right. All right. We'll see you then. Well, great. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Safe. Bye. And let's see. Let's continue on with. Um, oh, Nev uh, is uh, going to be in uh, Dulles, uh, uh, Fairfax, Virginia at, uh, let's see, what, next week, I think, September 12th, 13th. He put this on Slack. I thought this would be a, a good thing to uh, put out there for anybody who wants to meet up with Neville Bounds. And uh, if you're in the area, you really should take the time to do so because he's a quality guy. He says, I have a bit of a plan for my IAD meetup next week. If anyone fancies some food or drink from about 7 p.m. onwards on Tuesday the 12th, I'm staying at Westfield's Marriott, uh, in, let's see, 14750 Conference Center Drive, Chantilly, Virginia, 20151. On Wednesday, the 13th, the next day, I'm going to head over to the Smithsonian Museum, the uh, Udverhazy Center, I'm assuming he means, at about 10 a.m. I need to be back at the hotel by 4. I know that First Officer Craig... Uh, let's see, Brian, uh, Boeing bound Bry, uh, and Rebecca, uh, Rebecca, I think you're in the, in the, um, yeah, there you are, Rebecca, uh, have said that they might be around and he left his cell phone number if anyone wants to get in touch and do I dare put his cell phone number out there? Yeah, why not? It's plus four, four, seven, nine, six, zero, one, six, nine, eight, two, four. I'll put that in the show notes if anybody wants to ring up Nev and get together with these quality, fine people. Um, looks like they're going to have a good time on Wednesday. And then finally, he said on Friday, he's going to be doing the PTUK, Plane Talking UK, another fantastic aviation podcast. Uh, he's going to be doing the show from, he's one of their new hosts, by the way. He's doing that from his hotel on Friday at 1 p.m. So I'm assuming by putting that out there, he means that uh, he wants to have a live audience. <laughs> so if you're around uh, Fairfax, Virginia, Chantilly, Virginia on Friday, maybe uh, contact Nev. Okay. Uh, let's see. Nick was uh, on a long phone call there, and now he's leaving. So I, I guess it's time for me to continue with the show, and I think that might be a good idea to do something like um, the coffee fund. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. Hey, we're playing the Java Jive. That means that we're going to talk about the Airline Pilot Guy show, Coffee Fund. You can become part of the Coffee Fund cadre by providing financial support to the show. And you can learn about how to do that by heading over to the airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee page on the website. And uh, let's see, there are a couple of ways that you can contribute to the show. One, the Coffee Fund Classic Method via PayPal. And also uh, Patreon, you can become a patron of the show. And 
since the last episode, we have three people who, actually two, who contributed via the Coffee Fund Classic Method. Stuart Kraft and a recurring payment from Jeff and Anissa Moeller. And uh, the Patreon uh, side of things, uh, we have two new pledges, two new patrons of the show, Derek Thomas and Evan Shu. I met Evan at uh, the EAA Air Venture in Oshkosh a few weeks back. Evan is from Australia, and uh, it was a, such a pleasure meeting you, Evan. And thank you for becoming a patron of the show. So if you're listening and you want to contribute in a financial way, again, head over to airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. Become part of the Coffee Fun Cadre. You'll, you'll, you'll be glad that you did. Taking it slow. Waiter, waiter, percolator. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the Java Java and it loves me. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Looks like Nick is back. <laughs> I am back. I, my apologies. I had another captain uh, on the phone there. We're swapping first officers for our return flight. Oh, I don't want to hear about that. Yeah, it's too complicated to go into. <laughs> and both of our first officers are very unimpressed because uh, one of them lives in Manchester oh. and he's going to London. And the other one lives in London, near London, and he's going to Manchester. Uh, and uh, the reasons are, are just outside of our control, but uh-huh. I feel so sorry for them because they're going to have to both position in opposite directions actually cross over. Was it so, because of your first officer just didn't want to fly with you anymore? Oh, you guessed. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't yeah. stand this bloke. Yeah. I'm, I've nearly run out of first officers now. They're willing to fly with me. It's such a sad situation. <laughs> it is a sad situation. Let's see if I can quickly find that. <laughs> oh, no. So sad. Nobody wants to fly with Captain Nick. Oh, no. Now, that can't awful. be true. That can't be true. I'm sure it's but something But it is else. absurd. Uh, it, it is absurd. Got fed, fed up with me singing "Happy Birthday to Me" all the way out. <laughs> yeah, that never gets old. <laughs> oh, by the way, did I mention uh, that I'm? It's my birthday. Yeah, you mentioned it like several times the last several hours. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm old. I'm sorry. I can't remember what I've said. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> That's the other thing. Do I really have to fly with you? You're so old. <laughs> So I was just telling them about uh, Nev being in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, and I went ahead and did the uh, Java Jive thing. And again, thank you, everybody, for your contributions. It really does make a difference. But I was also going to mention, I think, two more things. I'm remembering one right now. And uh, the one that I'm remembering is uh, Stephen Ivey, right before the show today, said, hey, are you going to be going out to the uh, Scofflaw Brewing Company or brewery or whatever uh, next Saturday, like, like we had, you know, said for their one year anniversary. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that. So we're going to meet up again at two o'clock at Scofflaw Brewing Company. So anybody in the Atlanta area, come on. I know who all of you are. <laughs> and, uh, I know you're listening. <laughs> he knows where you live. And some of you, some of you, by the way, 
you know, who have come to uh, meetups in the past in Atlanta, uh, didn't show up for the last one. And I'm very disappointed. I was really looking forward to, uh, yeah, I'm not going to name any names. Maybe I should, but I'm not. You know who I'm talking about. Um, expect to see you next Saturday at the Scofflaw Brewing Company. And there was another, there was another something that I was going to mention also. Um, oh, I know what it is. Um, Dr. John Brown um, is uh, from Toronto and he is a, a doctor, a pediatrician and uh, not a pediatrician, a, a general practitioner. And he's also a, a pilot, obviously. He has a, a Cicada, I think, Trinidad, a beautiful single engine airplane. And he's uh, flown it to Columbus for a meetup and also Oshkosh. And he's going to be in Atlanta with his beautiful wife, Brenda. And uh, that is going to be, I'm trying to find, I'm trying to vamp right now, looking at the meetups channel in Slack. And I know he's going to be here in Atlanta. It's going to be like the 21st, 22nd, something like that. Um, I'll try to put that, if I remember, in the show notes so that you can uh, join up with us. Flying Doctor 17 is his his ID in Slack. And he said, my wife Brenda and I will be flying down from Canada into Peachtree DeCab on Friday, September 22nd. And he's here for a psychiatry conference. That's probably why he listens to the show, so he can get some uh, research. Uh, Practice. Yeah. <laughs> and he said he wants to get together with the Atlanta APG Syndrome Sufferers, or ASS, A-A-S-S. Again, that's APG Atlanta APG Syndrome Sufferers to continue the quest for the cure. And so, again, um, we'll put uh, some information about that. I'm, I, I can't recall exactly where we're going to be meeting up yet. I'm not sure if we've nailed that down. But that's going to be Friday, September 22nd. So, again, if you're in the Atlanta area, please, please put it on your calendar. Uh, we need to show Dr. John, the flying doctor, a good time and his wife. We need, really need to impress his wife. Okay. So there you have it. I'm just My mind is just going mad here, Jeff, as to how you're going to impress his wife. <laughs> Mine too. <laughs> it's hard for me to concentrate, actually. So I am going to continue uh, with the uh, Evernote uh, notes here. It looks like we've knocked out everything on my intro page. So I guess that means you know, it can only mean one thing. Stand by for news. And thank you, Perry. Yeah, I think that is actually where we're going to go. He said, hey, if he's flying into PDK, how about the downwind or 57th fighter group? I think we are going to go to the 57th fighter group, which is a great place. And Nick has been to 57th fighter group. I have. I enjoyed it very much. I love that. I love that biplane that was sitting mm -hmm. just over the fence. Yeah. I had a great um, you know, ambiance. 
Yes, it did. Um, so that is where I believe we'll be meeting up on Friday, September 22nd. So look in the show notes for more details. And if you haven't joined Slack, we'll have information on how you can do that at the end of the show. Wait a minute. Hang on. Where is Helen? Hello. Yeah. Okay, he's there. <laughs> you strangled Hillel. <laughs> Again? What, <laughs> oh, Jeff? Yo, Jeff, go ahead. I'm standing uh, by. Yeah, he's standing by, he said, for yeah, the, uh, sounds the end like of the a show. Muppet. <laughs> no, he does sound like a Muppet. Uh, all right. Poor Hillel. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. News, news, news. Let's start with... Oh, you know what I need to do? I need to play this. Bad boys. Well, the good news is a lot of bad boys out there and girls. You guys aren't, you know, you're not off the hook. Uh, but usually it's a, a boy, unfortunately. Uh, the unruly Hawaiian Airlines passenger uh, from New Jersey who threatened to kill his girlfriend, her three children, along with other passengers and the flight crew. <laughs> this guy's a, a peach. Uh, uh, yeah. Has been told to repay $98,000 to Hawaiian Airlines after Ooh. the plane was forced to return to Honolulu because of his behavior. And uh, James August, or, or August, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, pleaded guilty to in February to interfering with flight crew members and flight attendants. The incident occurred during Hawaiian Airlines Flight 50, which took off from Honolulu Air, International Airport in November. James August uses a cell oh, that's the caption for the picture, sorry. Just a few hours into the 12-hour flight, the pilot decided to turn the plane around back to Hawaii in order to ensure the safety of all passengers. But the trouble began even before the flight left the ground when a crying 11-year-old boy asked a flight attendant, can you please just keep him away from us? August's girlfriend and her three children also then refused to return to their seats in the same row as him. During the meal service, the girlfriend's 16-year-old told a flight attendant that August called him a derogatory word insulted the children, made life-threatening comments. Anyway, so he's going to be repaying close to $100,000 to the airline, but not the $47,000 in meal vouchers and rebooking costs he incurred, or the airline incurred. Uh, let's see, when the <laughs> flight attendant asked August to go with her to another part of the plane, he punched her hard in the shoulder. What a classy guy. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so at least uh, we, you know, we hear a lot about these passenger disturbances and uh, stuff on these on these shows, and you always wonder if there is going to be some justice served. And it looks like this guy's going to at least pay for at some of his, uh, in, in, you know, inconveniencing of the uh, airline and passengers. Um, so that is good news. And yeah, I don't suppose the passengers will see anything of that, but no. of course the costs go to the airline because it's right. damned expensive to uh, abort a flight and put up your passengers overnight and sort them all out. Um, and uh, it's actually nice to see that somebody's actually having to cover the cost of that because for too long the airlines have just sort of done this and looked after it themselves. And yep. uh, it, it really is you know, getting beyond a joke. It's always discouraging to me, and I'm sure it is to you, Nick, uh, when you hear about all these kind of things going on. I mean, 
big airlines like ours, this kind of thing happens a lot. And I hear that, at least at Acme, most of the time they just go ahead and, you know, settle out of court and pay off these idiots and uh, people that sue the airline and all that kind of stuff. And they don't really go after the people that cause great inconvenience and they figure that it's just a cost of doing business. But it's kind of nice when you see them actually, you know, pursuing somebody and taking them to court and actually making them, you know, pay restitution. Well, absolutely. I think part of the problem is that uh, um, even in the same country, not every uh, court will treat uh, this with the same amount of uh, seriousness that this judge did. So my hat off to him. Uh, it's brilliant. Your hat's um, gone. Yeah, no. My New York. Ah, now it's off. My Yankees hat off to him. That's a big thing to take my Yankees hat off. <laughs> um, so no, it's uh, it's good to see that uh, he's he's using his uh, ability to uh, uh, to recover costs, uh, and um, hopefully the message will slowly filter down that. You know, it's it's just not acceptable on an airplane. This is just too dangerous an environment to let loose. Yep. Hey, you want to take this other uh, case of justice, the rogue baggage handler, Nick? I, I'm having to. Oh, yeah, here we go. I can do that for you, sir. No okay. problem at all. Uh, so what we got here, we've got a rogue baggage handler aborted airline landing. A former airline baggage handler in Australia. G'day, mate has pleaded guilty to making fake calls to pilots and air traffic controllers, including one hoax that caused a plane to abort its landing at Melbourne Airport in 2016. So according to uh, ABC.net, the 20-year-old former Virgin Australia (gasps) employee, Paul Sant, admitted in court to making unauthorized radio transmissions I've a feeling we covered this. We did. We talked about it at the time. Yeah, we did. They and caught we, the guy. They, yeah. How stupid it was. Anyway, um, so he made unauthorized radio transmissions to the crew aboard of five Virgin Jetstar and Qantas flights and also admitted making fake Mayday calls to air traffic controllers. What's the guy thinking? Uh, uh, having said that, Uh, On the way into New York today with Boston, we were getting breakthrough on the frequency, and I was listening to some bloke um, talking about parking a crane against the side of uh, a building. (laughs) So I'm going, uh, someone is using a radio here that's not uh, tuned to the right frequency, or Mm. um, you know, they're actually using an illegal frequency because we're all hearing them. (laughs) They were down in Florida. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, they weren't oh. in Florida. Okay. They, no, all, all they were doing was saying uh, that we've got to push this crane against this building. Huh. Uh, that's the only bit we could make out. But basically, every time the controller transmitted, uh, we were getting this breakthrough. Uh, uh, probably uh, getting some uh, side band or whatever they call that. Yeah. And because uh, undoubtedly someone was using an illegal frequency. Yeah. Uh, there you go. So it just shows that. But this guy was. This guy was on purpose getting on uh, on their traffic frequencies and telling aircraft to go around and doing all this thing. So it's brilliant that they actually um, uh, did something about it. Yeah, he uh, so uh, actually he he transmitted a false Mayday call as well. Yeah, and he faces up to twenty years in prison. I hope they throw the book at him yeah. and put him in prison because exactly. throwing a book at somebody, you know, if you hit him, it's one thing. A lot of times you miss. 
<laughs> so they they uh, arrested him in November, seized a radio piece uh, connector and two small handheld radios. Uh, and court documents revealed that several witnesses claim he dumped the radio transmitter in a lake. Anyway, he's pleaded guilty to charges of endangering the safety of an aircraft in flight and transmitting a false mayday call, knowing it was likely to endanger the safety of another person. Yeah, that that's a, quite a severe penalty if they th give him the full uh, nine yards. 20 years in prison, that's, uh, that's you know, uh, I wish we could get through to people, just, uh, you know, yeah, how serious it is when you mess about with airliners. Yeah, yeah. Oh, should I get it through to some of our pilots? Yeah, I was only joking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, um, all this. Well, not really. I started way before this, but uh, the passenger misbehavior kind of thing uh, really got a lot of media attention, especially social media. Uh, during that United uh, incident where they pulled the guy off, Dr. Dow. Wow. It was brought up yet again just a few days ago on another radio program I was listening to. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. They're um, still doing the rounds. It Really? Well, should we not? I guess we should just skip it then if it was on somebody else's show. Uh, no, no, no. It was on uh, the BBC, I think. It was oh, okay. On morning TV. Oh, like a respectable radio show. Yeah. Well. The United, uh, the United States Department of Transportation has finished the investigation on the incident involving a United, United Airline passenger forcibly removed from the aircraft in April of this year. The U.S. authority body concluded that despite the fact that United breached some of the U.S. Department of Transportation's oversales rules, the enforcement action will not be warranted. And the DOT found evidence that United violated rules when the airline provided an incorrect denied boarding compensation amount to one of five passengers bumped from the flight and also failed to provide the written, the required written notice to the passenger who was injured during the incident and his wife. However, the DOT, the Department of Transportation, disregarded these breaches as minor as the airline ladder corrected the DBC amount. Furthermore, the U.S. Department of Transportation found no indications that the airline violated, violated the injured passenger's civil rights. Quote, United did not subject any of the passengers on United Express Flight 3411 to unlawful discrimination. Uh, there was no evidence that United discriminated against any of the passengers who were involuntarily denied boarding on Flight 3411 to, uh, based on their race, color, national origin, religion, sex, or ancestry so we all remember the video of the bloodied passenger being dragged off the airplane by the security forces apparently um the dot is saying well that wasn't united that did that that was the security people police whatever they were and i'm not sure how you know what what's going to come of that but i just thought that was interesting that uh they didn't get any kind of they didn't even get a slap on the wrist for this yeah, that, that's remarkable. But having said that, all they did was say, look, we're overbooked. We've got to get somebody off. Um, please help us to the airport security. And from then on, they left it in the yeah. airport security's hands, who made a bit of a hash of it. Yeah, a little bit a little bit heavy-handed, I think. Yep. Uh, okay, moving on. Air India. This is an interesting one, I think. Um, the headline says, 130 pilots... 430 crew members of Air India likely to be grounded. I'm thinking, wow. why? Well, these crew members had regularly been evading the breath analyzer test 
over a period of time for flights to and from certain destinations such as Singapore, Kuwait, Bangkok, uh, Ahmedabad, Ahmedabad. 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 And Goa, sources close yeah, to the Goa development. Um, so as part of the uh, Directorate General of Civil Aviation in India, uh, there are safety regulations. All pilots and cabin crew must undergo breath analyzer tests before and after flights. What? Every flight? I think so. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I can I kind of understand why they kind of blew it off. Uh, well, I don't mean to use that pun, but uh, <laughs> it kind of just happened. Uh, the queries emailed yesterday on the issue to Air India spokesperson went unanswered. Notably, aircraft rules prohibit crew members from taking any alcoholic drink 12 hours prior to the commencement of a flight. So that's a little bit more restrictive than the rules at ACME, which is 12, uh, eight hours, which is the same as the FAA. Uh, is yours 12 hours or is it eight? Uh, I think the advice is uh, moderate drinking 24 hours, no drinking 12 hours. Okay. Uh, but uh, actually that's just advice. That's just advice as to when to stop drinking because yeah. uh, the actual the bottom line is zero alcohol yes. in your breath. Regardless of when you stop, you have to make Absolutely. sure that you have to have zero in your system when you show up for work. Exactly. Um, let's see. Um, any crew member who tests positive in the pre-flight medical check or refuses to take a breath analyzer test is required to be taken off flying duty for at least four weeks, and the airline is required to initiate disciplinary hearings or proceedings. Now here, side note, sidebar, here in this country, if we denied a to take a breathalyzer test, uh, we wouldn't be well, we we would be taken off duty, but we would be fired. It's not like, you know, you, you even have a chance to uh well, you know what? I take that back. I think there might be some ways to say, look, I have a, a problem with alcohol, and then you go into a like one of those programs that uh, can kind of, you know, get you all straightened out and dried out and that kind of thing. And then I think you I think can, usually you have to sort of admit it before you get caught, don't yeah. you? Well, yeah. I th I'm not sure exactly how that works, but we do have we do have programs in place. And I think, yeah, you may be right uh, that you need to do it before you get caught. <laughs> and then once you yeah. get caught, I mean, when you get caught, it's a bit late. That's it. Yeah, too late. Yeah. And, well, you know, that's one of the problems, I think, with alcoholism. Uh, is that uh, the, the denial factor that um, most people deny that they have a problem. And that's probably the toughest thing, that if somebody is suffering from any kind of addiction, uh, it's it's a tough thing to admit to it and then turn yourself in and say, look, I got a problem. I need to you know, go through some kind of a program to uh, get get cleaned up. Yeah, uh, we, we rely quite a lot on peer pressure. So, I mean, it's up to me to tell my fellow pilot if i think he's he might have a problem um i mean i think you got to i think you're drinking too much. <laughs> if, if you get through to it um and then uh, you know you just say to him look you know um particularly if he's part of your union and we have got a really strong um uh, program within our union that allows guys to uh take themselves and put themselves into a program and with the union support and they will then back him up. But if people just wait until they're caught, nah, I'm sorry, that's, that's too late. You have to take responsibility for your actions and you have to recognize if you have a problem, 
But uh, if you wait until you're caught and then try and wave the white flag, then nah, it's too late. Oh. Well, you know, apparently um, only 224 pilots and crew members of various airlines failed the test in 2016. <laughs> it's funny you should mention this. I'm thinking of doing a plane uh, tales on oh. just exactly this subject next uh, next week. So oh, perhaps we'll cover more of it then. Yeah, maybe I should have saved this uh, news no, item then for next week. No, no, it's good. It's a good intro. <laughs> okay, good. Little taste, a little. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, I- I'm amazed that there is an airline that does it every flight. Yeah. That's so. Uh, what's, what's your policy on Acme? It's yeah. just a random thing and. Honestly, I have not been randomly selected for a breathalyzer in, I don't know, more than a decade. And uh, the last time I had a random drug test where you, you know, you pee in a little container probably was several years ago. So, but it's all random, they say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we have also a random system. Um, the interesting thing about ours is our union very strongly advises that if you've been subject to a, uh, a test, you should remove yourself from uh, flying for 24 hours. So uh, because of that oh. possibility, the company is actually quite reluctant to do it, particularly down route. Yeah. So, because uh, they know they may well end up with uh, a crew member going, well, yeah, but I'm sorry, uh, uh, I don't feel comfortable. This is now going to prey on my mind. For right, the, right. Uh, you know, X hours, and I, I, I don't feel comfortable now operating the flight. So uh, they step away from it. I yeah, I don't blame them. Yeah, don't blame them at all. Well, wait, we have some breaking news. I lost some more. Yeah, this is exciting. So uh, Richard McKinney in the chat room um, says, I just noticed in the YouTube description that Airline Pilot Guy podcast is in the science and technology category. Impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you wise guy. Uh, Yeah, okay. You know, the way they do the categories, this kind of show, really, there's there's really nothing that really correctly, uh, they don't have an aviation category. Yeah, in uh, on YouTube, and so I just usually just select science and technology. The other one could be travel. I maybe I should put in travel. Uh, same thing with uh, iTunes. They have categories for things. So to find an aviation podcast on iTunes, you have to go to games and hobbies. Now I don't what? know about you, Nick, but what you do is that a hobby or is that like a real job? No, it's, it's a game. It's, it's a game. Oh, it's a game. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. And so games and hobbies, and then the just, subcategory is aviation. And I'm thinking, just, wow, <laughs> that's kind of a slap in the face, isn't it? It is. Actually, I just play a big and I'm not, not really one. Yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, very funny, Richard. <laughs> Glad to have you here, though, by the way. Um, anyway, let's move on with our uh, last news item. Uh, this one, I mean, it's not really funny. Uh, it's weird. Um, Belgian army pilot falls from helicopter during air show. And I guess it was the opening day of the fourth engineer battalion in Amay, a province of Liege in France during a parachuting demonstration. One of the two pilots of an Augusta a one Oh nine military helicopter fell from the aircraft. The co-pilot was busy preparing the three paratroopers who were going to jump immediately after their jump. The co-pilot saw that the pilot seat was empty and his door was open. The helicopter was starting to fall. 
but the co-pilot was able to regain control of the aircraft and land safely at Amay Base. The investigation will determine the exact circumstances of the accident, but the body has not been found. So it also goes to say the pilots and co-pilots are not equipped with parachutes. So what do you make of this? Did he, like, commit suicide? Well, this is not the first um, report I've heard uh, of this. Cause really? I, yeah, I, I've read several, um, but they're all sort of equally terse, and there's not a lot of information. One of them suggested that the pilot um, had slid back his door, and it's not a sliding door. Uh, it's a it's a hinged door. Um, there's others that... Um, uh, well, it makes this this one makes it sound like the first officer was actually in the back of the in the body of the helicopter, and not in his seat, which seems unlikely. Yeah. So uh, I I think that <laughs> I don't know if we're going to find out any more about this because, uh, as you rightly have said in the past, uh, military accidents sometimes you don't hear the full story right afterwards. But uh, this sounds very strange, and there the, there are conflicting reports, all based on very limited information. But um, uh, how a guy would fall out of a helicopter, I really don't know. Um, would a guy choose that moment to commit suicide? That also seems incredibly yeah, unlikely. Yeah, because he'd be endangering the, you know, the life of the co-pilot. Exactly. Uh, so I'm pleased that the first of uh, oh, the co-pilot managed to get it back into his seat and uh, and get control of the air, the aircraft, the helicopter, because they're they're very dangerous things. Helicopters, you know, you you take your hand off the the control and they turn upside down at the drop of a hat. Yeah, they're not very stable machines. They're not, they're not like an airplane, which no. would just putter around a bit. So uh, yeah, he did a good job, uh, but uh, it's just, just this is really weird. Yeah, very, very odd. It says, research is underway and will stop at nightfall. <laughs> they don't want to spend too much time on it. <laughs> God. Um, yeah, I think translation is another problem. Um, but it was yeah. during this show, for heaven's sake. Uh, so I don't understand. Did, did no one film it, record it? Because yeah. if, if you've got parachutists coming out in their show, you usually get lots of cameras on them. Yeah. Uh, so I'm surprised we haven't had more information from the general public. Says the helicopter was at an altitude of about 400 meters, which is what about 13, 1400 feet, something like that. Yeah, it's not particularly high. No, not very high at all. Oh. And uh, Gary loves beer in the chat room. No, uh, and according to this article, anyway, it says that the pilots do not wear parachutes. No, so. no, you you don't wear parachutes in a helicopter, in my experience. Hmm. Uh, and you don't have ejector seats either, because yeah. you tend to get chopped up when you go. Up <laughs> yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, although they have experimented with downward and sideways firing and also uh, ejector seats that first jettison all the blades and then pop you out the top, Oh, uh, all of which sounds a little bit dodgy. It <laughs> sounds uh, what we have here in the U.S., Rode, uh, Rude, Rude, what is it, Rude Goldberg, Rude, Rude, <laughs> Rude, <laughs> Rude Goldberg. What's his name? Darn it. It's like the guy you have. We talked about this in a couple of shows Rube. ago. R-E-B, Rube? Rube, maybe Rube. That's it. Rube Goldberg. And uh, he was a cartoonist that came up with all these kind of weird contraptions. And didn't you say uh, you had something like that over there in Europe as yeah, well? Yeah, Heath Robinson. Yes. Yes. It was recent, wasn't it? We talked about yeah, we uh, exactly Heathrow right. or something like that. It was uh, his desc- or somebody's description. Uh, anyway. 
Anyway, to be a helicopter pilot, you have to be able to do this. <laughs> That's why I'm not a helicopter. Oh, you could be a helicopter pilot. <laughs> you have to rub your tummy and pat your head, and you have wow. to also kick your feet at the same time. <laughs> or you need to be able to draw circles in opposite directions. <laughs> your fingertips. I mean, there's, you have to be well-coordinated to fly a yeah, helicopter. I don't Let think I could you. do that. No, I can. That's why I'm not a helicopter pilot. <laughs> All right. Enough of the news. I think we got it all, didn't we? I think so. Okay. Time for the best part of the show. Captain, incoming message. Let's start with Dave. He says, my name is Dave. How appropriate. And I'm a private pilot in training from Canada. I want to start by saying that I love the podcast and listen to it during each of my commutes to work. Some would say I have the dreaded syndrome, but we don't speak of that. I currently work as a firefighter here in Canada and have always had a love for aviation. I've been working towards my PPL for a while and have loved every minute. After this is done, my plans are to pursue my commercial through the flight club I currently train at. I feel that this would be best suited for being someone with a full-time career. Thoughts? I'm very lucky with my career right now as we work 24-hour shifts, which means only two shifts per week. Per week, sorry, uh, Long shifts, but uh, gives lots of time off. Because my shift days are variable and cannot commit to school Monday to Friday, do you think doing my training through my private club flight school is the best way to go? I would say probably so, as opposed to a, a formal like a 141 school, I would say, that doing it in uh, Part 61, flight club, private club kind of thing, you know, little bits and pieces is probably the best thing for you to do uh, while you're keeping your job going, Dave. Uh, so Dave continues, my dream has always been to fly for a major airline, but the main goal is just to be able to fly on a commercial level. Being paid to fly just seems amazing to me. <laughs> it does to me, too. And I'm always amazed at that that they're paying me to do this. Okay. Anyway, um, my second question is how flexible is scheduling at the regional level? I ask this because if there is a way for me to keep my current career as a firefighter uh, and be able to fly a jet for the regional airlines, I feel I would be very happy. <laughs> I would imagine so. Um, he says, having the safety net of my current six-figure career with pension and amazing benefits would just make the transition until getting into a major airline that much easier. He says, I've uh, logged over 1,000 hours on my at-home flight sim, and even on that, I just can't get enough. So I can only imagine the rush I would get doing this for uh, in the real world. Okay, so Dave, um, we answer, I think we answered the first part where you know doing the bits and pieces kind of uh, training is best for you to do it when you're not doing your shifts and you can keep your, uh, your regular job, which sounds like a pretty well-paying job. And that's important for learning how to fly because it's expensive. And a lot of people will tell you that listen to the show. They're listening right now saying, darn it, you know, I'm incurring a lot of debt. And it sounds like to me that you don't uh, have to do that with your current job. However, your, idea, your fanciful idea of working for a regional airline and keeping your career as a firefighter might be a little bit more difficult, in my opinion. Um, I think that uh, 
when you start off on an airline, uh, a regional airline, they're, you're going to be on reserve and you're not going to be able to pick and choose when you go to work and when you're going to be on reserve. And I mean, to a certain extent, extent you will be, but I'm just not sure. I mean, I don't know. I, uh, maybe somebody out there can help me out. Maybe uh, one of the many, many regional pilots that are listening to the show right now can uh, let us know whether or not this is just a pipe dream or this is something that could possibly work for Dave. What do you think, Captain Nick? I think you're exactly right, uh, Jeff. I don't think he has a hope in hell. Because <laughs> so uh, Nick is I a little bit that, more more yeah. straightforward with this answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that regional airline is going to want him body and soul. They're going to say, uh, look, this is your stepping stone to the majors. Uh, you've got to devote your entire time to it. We're going to uh, whip your backside around the country and make you work from dawn to dusk and longer. So, um uh, that's just the way it will work. Um, when you get senior enough in an airline, you can pick and choose. You might be able to go part-time. You might be able to perhaps resume um, a career as a firefighter. But it sounds to me like you're just going to have to make the choice. Uh, if you, There may be a job for you out there somewhere. If you find, I don't know, um, a guy who's looking for a relief pilot for an exec uh, jet, uh, or there is uh, someone who does sort of medical um, flights who's just looking for a standby pilot to fill in, then you might find someone who's willing to take you on uh, just on occasions. But you'll need to know someone. You'll need to, uh, you know, make an arrangement with them. Uh, you have to be both be fairly flexible. Uh, and most regional outfits <laughs> they are not going to be reasonable. <laughs> they they will just they just say if you look if you're not prepared to join us and and do the work, then we'll find someone else who will. But I think you you made a good point there um, about like maybe taking some time off from your job as a firefighter, like a leave of absence or whatever you call it in uh, Canada, where you maybe take six months to a year off and perhaps. During that six month to a year period, and you you know you gain some seniority, maybe you'd be able to do this and go back to oh, your yeah. firefighting job and do the, uh, the regional flying. Yeah, I mean, that's possible. I mean, I think it might need to be slightly longer than a year, perhaps. Could but be. Yeah. I mean, from from my airline, it takes guys quite a while to build up the experience before they're allowed to attempt to uh, go part time, but uh, it does happen. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, I mean, you've just got to explore it with the uh, the employer you're looking to, you know, uh, engage with. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I, it wouldn't be easy. Wouldn't be certainly the easiest way to do it. The easiest way to do it is to get all the qualifications, get a job, and then hang your fire hiding. Five for your what? No, what? <laughs> I don't know. What was that I just said? Ha- I don't hang know. Hang your firefighting hat up. Not your fire hiding fat up. Your fire hiding fat up. (laughs) (laughs) I understood what you meant, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you did. Um, uh, And uh, say, right, well, no, I'm an airline pilot because uh, they're they're two pretty full-time careers. Mm -hmm. And actually, well, I know firefighting, you do get a reasonable amount of time off, but certainly in the airline industry, you don't, unless you're very clever and senior and you've got the right kind of roster manipulation that allows you to sort of fit in your firefighting days off and do a trip and then come back 
why you'd want to do that if you were that senior, I don't know. But you have to get a long way up the tree before you have that flexibility. I agree. I agree. So, you know, I guess it's possible there might be some solutions out there, but might have to put that firefighting job on hold for a bit and just go all in on the flying thing. Mind you, you'd be damn useful on a on a Dreamliner, wouldn't you? You'd be able to put <laughs> oh, that battery fire out, no problem at all. There you go. That's the airline to go with, or the airliner to go with. There you go. Um, let's see. Mike says, hey, all. Thanks for all you do on this fantastic podcast. I caught the syndrome early this year searching for something to keep me company while delivering all the important junk mail and bills that you get. And by the way, Mike... And Dave, who just said that he sort of has the syndrome, just uh, this might be something to look into. Why, hello there. My name is Miami Hick, and I'm here to talk to you today about an embarrassing subject that no one likes to talk about, APG syndrome. Do you have a constant pain in your neck from always looking up at airplanes? Have you tried to grow your own Captain Jeff mustache? Do you think of Miami Rick every time you hear a cricket? Think of Captain Nick when you hear a frog croak. Think of Dana whenever you eat Boston baked beans. Do you think of Dr. Steph whenever you get stuck with a needle? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then you are suffering from APG syndrome. We'll suffer no more. Introducing Go Around the Ceiling. With only 36 daily doses of an easy to swallow pill, you can be free of your symptoms with Go Around the Ceiling. Talk to your doctor today and find out if go around acillin is right for you. Like all medicine, go around acillin has side effects which include headache, nausea, vomiting, stomach bleeding, bleeding from the ears, nose, and eyes, uncontrolled diarrhea, stomach cramps, yelling of the teeth, hair, and toenails, warts, hair loss, dry mouth, constipation, and stomach cramps. So Mike goes on, I've had an interest in aviation since I was able to formulate independent thoughts. One of my fondest and proudest memories as a young boy was at Honolulu International on an American Airlines DC-10 when I was seven years old. At that point, I was already logging hours as a computer pilot. My parents asked if I could see the cockpit during boarding. The captain sat me on his lap as my parents told him to ask me to identify gauges. The captain seemed genuinely impressed as I correctly identified various old-school steam, I guess you call them, gauges, such as airspeed, attitude, heading. It's a memory I won't forget and reminds me to never forget my passion for flight, no matter what happens. My, ma- my parents later in life told me I could not go to flight school at Kilo Lima Golf Alpha LaGuardia for aviation college because they said that the job outlook for pilots was so dim. But that's a whole other story. I reminisce about this because I now have a four-year-old son of my own. He is highly intelligent for his age, and he has taken an interest in planes and flight. We have gone to the Naval Aviation Museum and watched the Blues practice. I took him for a discovery flight out of Pensacola in a 172, and he loved it. He was so excited to be up around the clouds and took the inherent bumpy ride with no fear at all. I took him up for another flight at Montgomery a few months later. Now we live outside Atlanta. And he loves seeing the large jets when we're near KATL, Atlanta International. My question is, are young children still invited into the cockpit before a flight? I would love to take him on a commercial jet, even if to just fly a turnaround flight for the experience. We don't have the opportunity to take a vacation that warrants air travel at this point. 
I would pay to take him on a cheaper airline like Southwest or JetBlue so he could see the cockpit, feel the thrust of takeoff, look out the window from the flight levels, but I guess it wouldn't be worthwhile without the chance to sit at the controls before the flight. Thanks again, and I hope the little man has the chance to do this soon and solidify his love of all things flight. And I can tell you, first of all, Mike, you don't have to necessarily go to quote-unquote low-cost airlines like Southwest or JetBlue. You could uh, get a very low fare on Acme Airlines as well. So it's just a matter of looking into it and looking for those sales and that kind of thing. And yes, um, I think that very few pilots currently would turn down a request from anybody before a flight or after. Actually, I would say after a flight may be better unless you are boarding very early on a, you know, when you're when you're starting the flight. Um, but either way, most pilots would be very happy for your your little man to come up and sit in the pilot seat and just look around the cockpit and ask questions and that kind of thing. Um, I, I know that I always enjoy giving cockpit tours to uh, folks, and they don't have to be little children either. Um, I, there are a lot of you know adults that come in and uh, are very interested in what is going on in the front and what all the gauges mean and that kind of thing. So I'd say, yeah, just ask. Yeah, I've done exactly the same thing many times. You're quite right, Jeff. We're a little less uh, busy at the end of the flight, just finishing up the paperwork and uh, um, much more receptive. Uh, Just before departure, it's usually a bit frenetic, so uh, you won't get the same kind of uh, experience. But um, if you want to take your your youngster on a flight, um, I would severely, severely, I would definitely recommend trying to find a friend uh, who is into general aviation because uh, uh, whilst you 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 might get a lot out of uh, just flying an airliner, that isn't quite the same experience. I I would try and get him up in a a light aircraft uh, because there he really can be at the controls uh, or close to them and see what's going on. And uh, if you're lucky enough to have a friend who has an aircraft uh, or, and does GA, someone willing to split the, the cost of fuel, it'll be a lot cheaper and he'll get a lot more out of it perhaps. I agree. That's a great idea. Yeah, so if you know somebody that has uh, an airplane, um, if you're on the south side of town, <laughs> I know somebody who loves uh, introducing young people to flying airplanes uh this dispatcher that uh has his own podcast so um anyway um yeah there there are a bunch of opportunities out there for exposing our young ones to this wonderful world of flying airplanes that's a great uh great idea captain nick yeah and good luck with him and because i mean we all picked up the bug at some point for me i was probably around eight years old uh, and if he's already showing an interest, uh, it, it stayed with me, uh, has stayed with me all my life. And uh, what, when you get that trigger, uh, if it works, then just do it. Because uh, if, if he finds a love for flying, there can be almost nothing better in the world. A couple of folks in the chat room are saying, uh, do a young eagle flight, Jen and Lane. You'll have to be a little older for young eagles, apparently. Uh, Jen says that from eight years on. Oh, but, okay. Uh, Totally free, too. Wow. Great uh, resource. Thank you, John and Lane. Um, okay, moving on. James, 
says, James here from Charlotte. Just wanted to say I took an extended leave of absence from the show. What? While doing some military training. Oh, okay. But have now been released back to the world. I'm glad to be able to listen to the show again. As ever, keep up the great work. Thanks, James. Yeah, we'll, thanks, we'll man. That. Great to have you back. Hope Absolutely. the military didn't, uh, it wasn't too hard on you. No, no. How were all those potatoes you had to peel? <laughs> and all those miles of uh, trails you had to hike with 150-pound packs. I, I bet he did something really exciting that he can't tell us about. Probably so. Probably. So, G-Man from Australia, because his name is, how would you pronounce that, Captain Nick? G-L-A-U-C-U-S. Yeah, uh, we, we tried this last time, uh, and I was... I was thinking Glaucus, but that's what um, I'd say. But apparently, uh, that's not right because he said no. just, just say G or G man. Yeah, so I, I wish he, I wish you'd send him a bit of uh, audio feedback so yeah. we can find out how to because we we like to learn. Yeah, know? we do. It's, it's an unusual name, so we'd love to know how it's said properly. Hey, we're we're both old dogs, but we can learn new tricks. Woof woof. <laughs> uh, so anyway, he sent this um, link. He says, um, just a quick feedback regarding the age uh, fleet of many airlines, um, pointing out which one has the oldest fleet. Yeah, Acme has the oldest fleet. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, anyway, the article talks about the age of airplanes and that kind of thing and reliability. And it says, so is it true that the older the airplane, the less reliable they are? And I want to say, no, it really depends upon the maintenance that you have at your airline and how much, you know, emphasis they put on, especially the, what do they call that? The uh, preventive maintenance. Oh yeah, absolutely. And staying on top of all these, you know, these what are we, maintenance carryover items, MCOs, we called them. Uh, you know, there are certain things that we're allowed to fly with in our minimum equipment list uh, for a certain amount of time. And sometimes when they're not paying close attention to, providing that preventative maintenance or, or attacking write-ups right off the bat, uh, they tend to start piling up. And uh, it can get rather complicated as a pilot when you get on an airplane and you pull out the logbook and you see all these different write-up, these different uh, maintenance carryover items. And then you have to consider, you know, how they interact with each other. And it's always so refreshing to get on an airplane and the logbook has no open write-ups in it and no carryover items. And I, I know from anecdotal uh, evidence and, and uh, experience that uh, we, even old airplanes, if properly maintained and uh, the maintenance technicians staying on top of uh, knocking out these little write-ups here and there, uh, these airplanes can be just as reliable or more reliable than even the newer airplanes. Well, absolutely right. I mean, uh, some of the new airplanes we're we're you know moving into new technology. So uh, you know, when you're talking about uh, carbon composites and uh, and other materials, which we're building modern airliners out of, none of those airliners have done twenty twenty five years yet. They're all very new. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, how they do um, you know, survive the years, whereas, of course, the old-style aluminium airplanes uh, 
we've been flying them for many years now. So that's technology we know and understand. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the the next generation of airliners uh, does cope with, uh, you know, 10, 20, 30 years of flying and uh, whether there still is safe. It will be interesting. And uh, speaking of old airplanes, I I don't know if you ever, uh, uh, if you saw this article, Nick, uh, that uh, was being bantied about on the social media, and uh, most people were tagging me in it because oh, really, yeah. So this why would they do that? Yeah, well, this is article. Michael and Al and several others <laughs> mentioned this. Um, apparently, a couple uh, journalists. I'm using air quotes uh, from Bloomberg decided to write an article about. The good old Mad Dog, the airplane that I fly. And uh, let's see, how do I do this? Uh, this, The airline that I fly for also flies these airplanes. But this article says, the, uh, the headline is, Delta will promote pilots to captain if they can fly this aging plane. So I thought, well, this is interesting. <laughs> if. <laughs> what do you mean if? If you can fly this aging plane. Is that like a test? I, I think so. Well, <laughs> so I started reading this article in the second paragraph. Well, first of all, let me start from the beginning. Since almost the beginning of commercial air, the commercial airline business, junior pilots have had to toil years in the second chair. Toil. Huh, waiting to win a pair of captain's wings. Now, Delta Airlines is offering them the chance to vault into a captain's seat in as little as six months. The catch... The promotion requires flying an unloved, aging plane nicknamed the Mad Dog that Delta plans to retire in three years. The oh, Mac- dear. I know. It's, it's, it's sad. Unloved today, Jim. Yes. The McDonnell Douglas <laughs> kind of reminds me of myself, actually. Uh, <laughs> the McDonnell Douglas Corporation MD-88 jets are the oldest aircraft in operation at any major U.S. carrier. That's not right. The 88s that Delta flies are not as old as the uh, MD-80s that are flown at American Airlines and some other airlines. Just thought I'd throw that in. Um, there was six months younger? No, no, no. These uh, The 80s that first came out, they came out, uh, guess what, in the early 80s. And the jets that Delta flies are uh, were delivered in the late 80s, 88, 89, 90 through 94, I believe. Um, anyway. Uh, they come, this is the part that really kind of let me know that the people that write this article, uh, the writers uh, have no idea what they're talking about. They come <laughs> with quirks such as glare prone skylight panels called eyebrow windows that were common when pilots sometimes navigated by the stars. Oh, really? They think they're for taking star shots? Yes. Oh, the foolish people. <laughs> so anyway, they go on. They go on to talk about the fact that, uh, you know, that there have been some very, very quick upgrades to captain on this particular airplane. And I will say that that is true. And we've talked about it a few times on the show. And um, part of the factoring into this is the fact that, uh, yes, this airplane is slated to be retired. It is the oldest in the fleet. Um also, the base in New York is a very, very junior base, and not many people want to commute to fly captain on this particular airplane. 
I do understand that if you're going to be with a company for 25, 30 years, that flying an old airplane that they've already said that they're going to uh, retire is something that you have to think twice about. And I can see the you know, the the reluctance to want to fly, you know, go through training on an airplane that's scheduled or slated for retirement soon, you know, because, you know, going through training is not, <laughs> is not something that, you know, you just cavalierly uh, go through. It takes a lot of energy, a lot of studying, a lot of stress to learn a new airplane. And uh, I, you know, I, I get the fact that you don't want to do that um, unless you get something in return for it. And uh, so that part of it is sort of, sort of correct, but this is what I think. So several people said, what do you think about this, Jeff? And I said, well, this is what I think. These two Bloomberg writers, or one of them, was at a cocktail party or something. And they're, they're talking to people, and they happen to uh, be talking to this guy or gal, uh, most likely a guy, that uh, flies um, the Mad Dog for Delta Airlines. And he started, uh, he's had a few drinks, and he's starting to badmouth the airplane. And uh, people are asking, well, yeah, I've heard that people are getting upgraded like in uh, six months to a year, you know, seniority. And why is that? And he's probably saying something, you know, about how quirky the airplane is and all that kind of stuff. And they didn't really quite understand what he said about the eyebrow windows, you know, misunderstood it and uh, misunderstood exactly why, you know, people may be reluctant to fly the airplane and that kind of thing. So that's my guess. I bet that's what happened here. Uh, anyway, it generated a lot of attention in the uh, community. And a lot of people, you know who I'm talking about out there, sent the uh, link to me. And uh, so I, I'd say that this is sort of like half fake news and half real news. You know what I'd like to say, Jeff? What? That that list of which major airlines has the oldest fleet has 30 airlines in there and uh, Acme Red doesn't appear. So Yeah, you have new fleet, don't you? We have new airplane. Mm-hmm. We have good airplane. So, uh, so Nick is equating new with better. Yeah, I am. Because they're, <laughs> they're shiny and they've got all the latest gizmos. And they, I mean, uh, the uh, 330 I flew in today, uh, took off with no snags. They hadn't any, hadn't had any snags for the last uh, several sectors. Landed with no snags. They'll turn it around. I have absolutely no doubt it'll head off home in the same condition. And they're like clockwork. You know, I've, in my experience with a company that's very similar to Delta Airlines, which is at the top of the list with the oldest airplanes, 17 years, I have, um, you know, I, I had a lot more issues with old airplanes when I was flying the 727 and the L-1011 compared to the Mad Dog that I've been flying for 15 plus years now. Oh, well, you uh, see the Mad been, Dog is at heart a McDonnell Douglas airplane? Yes. It Where is. is this 727? Oh, boy, here we go. Boeing. <laughs> so okay. what do you expect? There you go. Hey, number uh, the the airline that's co- consistently rated amongst the best airline in the world, Singapore, is number 16 on the list. Yeah, it is. Um, anyway. Uh, I mean, even China Southern, who hasn't been around that long, is number 20. Yeah. So, you know, I, I 
what's important here, I mean, it, yeah, it is nice to have new airplanes, but you can fly old um, airplanes are built. They're not like cars, you know, like in four years, five years, you're thinking this thing's starting to fall apart. I need to fly, you know, get a new car. Airplanes are kind of designed to fly for 25, 30 years. And if you maintain them properly, they'll be very reliable. And it just depends on the particular airline, how much emphasis they put on maintaining the older airplanes. And uh, if they decided that no, it's not worth uh, spending the time on it. Uh, for instance, the L-1011 fleet, that airplane went through little cycles. I flew it for three years. And there would be a several-month period where the airplane was a very reliable airplane because the maintenance folks were concentrating on fixing all the little write-ups they had here and there. And it was very reliable. But then when they decided, you know what, we need to spend our time on these other airplanes and and uh, not pay close attention to the uh, older airplane because, hey, you know, they said that we're going to be retiring them soon. Uh, then all of a sudden it became very unreliable. So I think the key is not the age of the airplane, but, you know, the maintenance of it. And uh, No, you're absolutely right, Jeff. I mean, because after all, uh, during an airliner's life, it'll be stripped down to the bare bones at intervals and put back together again. Yeah. Uh, and you, you don't do that. You don't invest that kind of uh, uh, maintenance unless you are seriously going to keep that airliner for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when you do that kind of maintenance, if you pull something completely apart and reassemble it and find out every problem and fix it, that's when you invest and that's when an airliner lasts for years. But there are some airliners like um, the 747 and the A340 that um, have uh, reaching a premature uh, end of their life. And uh, I, I say that quite genuinely about the 747. It's got exactly the same problem that all the four-engine major uh, big airliners have. It's that their fuel consumption is just too high compared yeah. with the, the big twins nowadays. So th they're being scrapped early, and I'm no doubt that uh, a, a lot of uh, the 747s would have continued on for many more years, despite the fact that they were um, coming up to 30 years old, uh, and they would have carried on going, because if it's economic for an aircraft of that size, just to keep it going if you can. But uh, modern economics say that that's not right. You've got to turn it into beer cans and uh, pull something plastic um, and put it in the, in its place. Right. And I was going to say also, very good point, by the way, um, that if you look at this list um, and then you look at the profits and how successful the airline is compared Ooh. to all the other ones in the list, a lot of people would say, looking at this list and an airline using older airplanes, hmm, maybe that was kind of a smart thing to do. Yep. I quite agree, because their number one is Delta, and they're probably the most profitable airline in the world. I think they are. I'm not sure. I have some friends that work there, and I think that's what they told me. Yeah, well, I, I think that's probably <laughs> fair. So, you know, driving all these old uh, bangers around might be worthwhile. It might be. But there might yeah. be a time when they finally go, you know what? You know, when the fuel starts going up in cost, that, uh, yeah. okay, we need to take a look now at our strategy Maybe this is not a good strategy anymore. We need to buy the new stuff. Yeah, good point. Georg sent this uh, email to me, and he says, Look like, looks like a bunch of Acme jets went for a swim. Hope they got swimming lessons first. And he gave me this link to a Reddit.com article. And he says, I hope they can be used again. And this is the aftermath of 
the uh, extensive flooding in Houston. And this photo that he, <laughs> I don't know if you're looking at this or not, Nick, but yes, I am. Uh, this is not a real photo. This is Photoshop. Uh, yeah. These, these airplanes are not underwater. Uh, this is fake news. And I guess that was being put out there and a lot of people were biting well, there was so much rubbish from uh, th- that. There were photographs being used from previous floods that had absolutely nothing to do with the current situation. It, it just worries me that people just grab pictures and yeah. just throw them out there. And this, but this is uh, completely faked. Yeah, very <laughs> fake. So I can happy. I'm happy to tell you, Georg, uh, and somebody else said, why didn't why didn't they like fly these airplanes away and, you know, and avoid this flooding? Well, they did and they didn't get flooded. This is just all fake. The only one that's not fake is that 747. They've turned into a a water slide. That's not fake. That's real. That's real. (laughs) But they did that on purpose though. I think. Well, it's good use for it. Quite honestly. (laughs) Okay. Moving on. Iowa, Matt. Oh no. He says, he says, um, Dana and Jeff. You're off the hook here, uh, Captain Nick. I don't think you were on the show. Off the hook. I am quite. <laughs> yes, you are. I'm quite disappointed in the both of you. That plane was not a beaver. It was a turbo otter. The GPS was a simple handheld. So he's talking about the show where we were. Uh, somebody had received a wonderful gift to fly in a seaplane, um, and I forgot the airline now. Um, so one of the airlines up in the uh, Seattle area and uh, Dana and I thought that the photograph that this guy took was inside of a beaver, but uh, apparently it was a turbo otter. So sorry, Matt. Uh, So our, our uh, accuracy rating now, I think is probably dipped below 50% again. (sighs) Someone took a picture inside a beaver. Yeah, can you believe that? Can can you do that? I mean, is that feasible? Um, Yeah. With with modern equipment, you can do that. Wow. Modern photography. I'm um, impressed. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. a great movie. Uh, yeah. Um, anyway, he says, on a side note, this Iowa mat was formerly known as Seattle mat. I got tired of never getting a meetup out there, so I moved to the beautiful Midwest. You should wave next time you all fly over. Jeff, I know you're getting excited for football season. Not sure why, though. Auburn is going to be terrible yet again. Roll Tide. So we have a a big rivalry here, um, Captain Nick. Uh, Alabama, University of Alabama. Uh, they are the elephants, but they they everybody calls them the Tide, and they always say Roll Tide. And Auburn, who are the Tigers, um, the other part of the state. And uh, everybody calls them the War Eagles, although the mascot is actually the tiger. Um, I'm and, not the least bit confused, don't worry. Yeah, so anyway, he's trying to pimp me because Alabama is ranked number one again. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just a, a formidable uh, football power in the SEC. Anyway, thank you very much for the nice greetings, Iowa Matt, and for slapping us down. And making our accuracy rating dip below 50%. It's much Again. appreciated. Yeah. Um, Jake writes in, says, uh, Jake from Charlotte, I've wanted to send my first feedback for some time now, but I just didn't have anything interesting to say. 
You don't need to send it. You don't have to have anything interesting to say, Jake, to send (laughs) feedback. Just listen to us. We have nothing interesting to say. I'm not sure who's interested in this stuff. Uh, Wanted to uh, let's see. um, Wanted to know if Captain Jeff has any experience with an event involving the once great Pan Am. For decades, Pan American World Airways struggled to stay afloat due to a multitude of factors, but it was able to sell assets and routes to keep the money flowing in. However, on August 12, 1991, all that came to an end, and what was left of Pan Am became Acme Airlines property for the cost of approximately $1 billion in cash and liabilities. Along with this, hundreds of Pan Am sky gods became Acme sky gods, and he says in parentheses, I'm sure that's what you refer to yourself as. Yeah, that's what we refer to ourselves as, sky gods. That's not what we refer to them as, but don't worry about that. (laughs) And started flying mostly the A310 and 727. Uh, Yeah, we, uh, or they, whatever, (laughs) bought um, a, a segment of Pan Am and... It was basically the 310 fleet. I think there was, yeah, maybe a few 727s in there, but mostly 310s. And the pilots associated with those airplanes, which is kind of odd. Um, anyway, he says, my question is, were you at Acme during this time? Yes. And did you fly ever fly with any of the pilots who came over from, from Pan Am? Yes. Also, what is everyone's opinions of Pan Am? I think Pan Am was a great airline. And uh, in fact, um, Captain Nick did a, amazing um plane tales on the uh, the flying boats and uh an incident involving a boeing 314 uh, flying boat uh the days before pearl harbor actually on a flight during the attack on pearl harbor and uh it was so interesting in fact that i ended up buying the book that uh, was used for a lot of the information that uh captain nick uh used in his uh, wonderful plane tales episode and i'm enjoying it i'm about halfway through the book and it's just awesome i think that pan am one trip and pan am and the flying boats the clippers and all that kind of stuff the history of this airline is just fascinating and uh, it is fascinating i mean it was such a uh, well thought of airline that can you think back to the movie uh, uh 2001 a space odyssey yeah Right. Well, the uh, the spaceship that was fired off uh, to go out to the space station that was surrounding the Earth was a Pan Am spaceship. Oh, I didn't. I don't real. I didn't realize. Absolutely. That. And uh, that you know that's how confident people were that Pan Am was going to be around uh, until the space age. That they were actually putting their logo on the spaceships on that movie because they, they, no one could imagine in, you know, ever imagine Pan Am crashing like it did coming so, down. So many great airlines that, uh, that just aren't here today. And you're thinking, wow, could anybody imagine that they wouldn't be here? Yeah. But it, uh, the, the guys that built the airline and made it what it was were no longer really at the helm at the end. And, that, and that's the problem. You know, you, you, <sighs> Yeah, the, the 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 airline was bought down by imbecile. I don't know. I shouldn't yeah. say that. <laughs> by people who weren't as clever as those that built it, and uh, they they caused its demise. Yeah, uh, such yep. a shame. It all has to do with all about the business of the airline and not the fantastic people that were 
piloting these airplanes and oh. and, uh, and and working as crew members on these airplanes. And when, when you speak to old Pan Am employees, they have such a love for their airline. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really was remarkable, and they they still talk about it with such glowing terms. And uh, they were all just so disappointed in their management when uh, the airline eventually just ran out of money. Yeah. Really a shame. You know, Pan Am, TWA, Braniff, uh, Eastern, uh, so many airlines out there that were just stalwarts of, uh, you know, the the aviation airlines. We we never thought they'd end. No. And they're they're gone. Anyway. Well, hey, you know, I need something to cheer me up. <laughs> I think it's time for. Will this cha- cheer me up? No, it won't. I don't think well, so. <laughs> it, it, it has a warm feeling towards the end. Okay, but it, good. It's, it's a sad story. <laughs> okay, well, it's time for Plain Tales. The old pilot's plain tales. The hunger winter. The beautiful Hollywood actress Audrey Hepburn spent her life suffering from medical problems that originated from her childhood. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain. Who would have thought, while she spoke such famous lines, she suffered from acute anemia, respiratory illness and oedema caused by malnutrition early in her life. She wasn't the only one by far, but just one of the many children living in the Netherlands who would suffer through the Dutch famine of 1944 and 45. The hunger winter, as it was known, occurred in the German-occupied part of the Netherlands and in particularly the densely populated western provinces north of the Great Rivers. A German blockade had cut off food from the farming areas in response to a national rail strike, and now some three and a half million civilians, under the grip of some 120,000 German troops, were starving. The strike had been called to aid Operation Market Garden. Field Marshal Montgomery had conceived a plan that would end the war in one quick blow. Three airborne divisions were ordered to grab and hold a number of bridges behind enemy lines and form a corridor from Belgium through Eindhoven, Nijmegen and finally to Arnhem, the bridge that would lead them across the final part of the Rhine. In one big hop, the British forces would be in the Ruhr, the industrial heart of Germany. If it worked, it was believed that the war would be over before the end of the year. The Dutch government in exile, convinced of a quick end to the war, decided that the Allied operation would be aided if they called for a railway strike in occupied Holland. The strike would seriously hamper German mobility and prevent a quick German counterattack in the early stages of the operation. The strike became a reality, and the Dutch underground followed the orders with great enthusiasm. Within one single day, the majority of the railroad personnel disappeared underground. All traffic by train stopped, whilst the Germans struggled to get personnel from Germany to fill the gaps. Operation Market Garden, the strike to the Rhine, failed. It was a bridge too far, and the Dutch faced another winter of occupation. The German retaliation for the strike was another severe blow. 
as punishment. A blockade was created to cut off food supplies to the major cities, particularly the densely populated western provinces north of the great rivers, and whilst in the grips of a hard winter, three and a half million Dutch people faced starvation. Although the Nazi embargo was partly lifted in November, allowing some food in by barge, soon the canal froze over, and that effort ground to a halt. The physical and emotional hardship of that winter pushed the population to the limit of their endurance. On top of more than four years of occupation, the Dutch suffered a brutally cold winter. Not only did the occupiers block the delivery of food, they destroyed dikes holding back the North Sea, which caused devastating floods to the coastal farmlands. Driven to desperation, the starving Dutch ate fried tulip bulbs and even cut their hair, boiled it and drank the broth for protein. By April 1945, the British military estimated that more than 500,000 residents of Holland were on the brink of death. The Dutch royal family, who had escaped to London, appealed to the Allied powers for help. If a major catastrophe, the like of which has not been seen in Western Europe since the Middle Ages, is to be avoided in Holland, something drastic has to be done now. Dutch Queen Wilhelmina desperately wrote to British and American leaders. Churchill was sympathetic and President Franklin D. Roosevelt, proud of his family's Dutch roots, pledged American aid. You can be very certain that I shall not forget the country of my origin, he wrote to the Queen. Not until after Roosevelt's sudden death three weeks later were his wishes for a mercy mission to the Netherlands relayed to the Allied Supreme Commander Dwight D. Eisenhower by U.S. Army Chief of Staff George C. Marshall. The Nazi commissioner who ruled over the Netherlands was a man called Artur Seisinkvart. After the war, he would be tried, found guilty of war crimes and hung. But at the time, seeing how the war was going, he permitted the negotiation of a truce in return for allowing food into the country. The Allied leaders were adamant that only unconditional surrender would be the basis of the Nazi capitulation. However, Eisenhower was permitted to consider a truce to save Dutch lives. Prince Bernard acted as an intermediary, moving between Eisenhower in Reims and Seisinkvart, until finally the conditions for a truce were established. With the approval of Churchill and Stalin, it was agreed that, if Montgomery would stop his advances uh, during Operation Market Garden, an attack that had already stalled, then relief flights might start. The need for quick action was urgent, as frequent deaths from malnutrition were already being reported by the Dutch resistance. Eisenhower called Air Commodore Andrew Geddes for a meeting and told him that he had the lives of millions of Dutch people in his hands. He was given the control of two RAF bomb groups with their pathfinders and three wings of the 8th Air Force. In the meantime, the BBC broadcast to the Dutch people. This is the BBC. 
The Allied Supreme Commander has given orders to drop food by parachute in order to relieve the burden of the Dutch people in the final stages of battle. A large number of aircraft will engage in this mission by day and night to deliver the food. These aircraft will not be used as means of war, but only as the transportation of food for the starving population. At RAS Stradishall, number 186 Lancaster Squadron started trials on how to deliver the food. Bags dropped from over 500 feet burst, spraying flour in white clouds and turning the potatoes into mash. At under 500 feet, basically skimming the treetops, the food would arrive intact. Having solved the delivery problem, they then needed hundreds of sacks at very short notice. They approached a nearby US base and the colonel was very sympathetic but said there was no way permission would be granted in time. Of course, the colonel mentioned, petty theft is a big problem and there aren't enough MPs to guard everything, especially when the hangar isn't locked and the MPs are all on the other side of the base as they will be this evening. I don't suppose anything would be noticed until at least 20 minutes after the last sack left. That night, 1,500 heavy sandbags unexpectedly went missing, and when the police chief inspector visited the RAF the next day, he was quietly eased off to the officer's mess for a gin and tonic with the station commander. On April 29, 1945, Royal Air Force Lancaster heavy bombers, manned by British, Australian and Canadian crew members, departed England on the first flights of Operation Manor. To increase the load they could carry, they left behind armament and protective armour plating. The flight to Rotterdam was made at a thousand feet below the cloud base. Ten minutes before the drop, they were forced lower. As the city came into view, they found themselves surrounded by dozens of other Lancasters. The scene on the Rotterdam racecourse, the dropping zone, was extraordinary. There were hundreds of planes packed onto the approach, and despite being warned of the danger, there were people below scurrying about grabbing supplies whilst more still were dropped. After the drop, aircraft continued over Rotterdam at only a few hundred feet, often below the height of the four-storey houses and dipping into the wide avenues. The population knew they were coming, and there had been another radio broadcast that morning. Bombers of the Royal Air Force have just taken off from their bases in England to drop food supplies to the Dutch population in enemy-occupied territory. The flat roofs of the city were covered with orange flags and thousands of cheering people. Infected with the obvious enthusiasm of the Dutch people, the crews waved cheerfully back. Twenty years old at the time, Flight Lieutenant Harry Parkins recalled his Operation Manor missions. After completing my 39th bombing operation on April 25, 1945, to Hitler's hideout in daylight, he said, air crews were asked to take out all the ammunition and guns from our Lancasters because an agreement had been reached with the Germans to allow us to drop food to the starving Dutch. April 29th was the first of six operations to Valkenburg, Delft and Rotterdam dropping food. The last drop was on VE Day. 
On the first trip, we found that because the Germans didn't trust us, they had put up many poles in the dropping areas, causing the sacks of flour to burst open. Our wireless operator, on seeing these white puffs of smoke from the bursting flour sacks, thought the Germans were shooting at us, and suddenly let out a violent scream, saying he'd been hit in the leg. I rushed to him and started to take off his flying boots and socks, but I couldn't see any blood or injury. Looking across the aircraft, I found one of the bomb clips, where the bombs were winched up before a raid, had flown off when the bomb bays were opened to drop off the food. The slipstream would have blown it against his leg. We all had a laugh at his expense, but didn't have the heart to report it. On our other manor trips, we flew just above the rooftops to get as low as possible, so as not to damage the food too much when we dropped it. Below on the frozen ground of Holland, Ari de Jong, a 17-year-old student, wrote in her diary, There are no words to describe the emotions experienced on that Sunday afternoon. More than 300 four-engined Lancasters flying exceptionally low suddenly filled the western horizon. One could see the gunners waving in their turrets, a marvellous sight. One Lancaster roared over the town at 70 feet. I saw the aircraft tacking between the church steeples and drop its bags in the south. Everywhere we looked, bombers could be seen. No one remained inside and everybody dared to wave cloths and flags. What a feast. Everybody is excited with joy. The war must be over soon now. One Canadian pilot recalled, flying by a windmill and people waved at us from its balcony. You understand, we had to look up to wave back. Sergeant Ken Wood, a rear gunner, remembered, people were everywhere, on the streets, on the roofs, leaning out of the windows. They all had something to wave with, a handkerchief, a sheet. It was incredible. Flight Sergeant Gibson also wrote, I will always remember seeing Thank You, Tommy, written on one of the roofs. And he recalled, Those flights were a beautiful experience. It was as if we brought the liberation closer to reality. Shortly after the RAF flights, the American Air Force joined in the operation which they named Chowhound. The Americans added 400 aircraft to the operation and doubled the amount of food delivered. Max Krell remembered his mission to The Hague. It is rainy and cloudy today, but within a few minutes all the bombers are airborne. The group crossed the coast at 1,500 feet. Max remembered seeing the German soldiers at the anti-aircraft guns looking up at them. They seemed close enough to throw rocks at them. He continued, The airfield was located without difficulty and the drop made from 400 feet. The wheels and flaps had to be lowered and the power settings were changed to cut back the speed to 130 miles an hour. In the meanwhile, several of the crew members are able to see the whole show that is going on below them. Max recalled, Such signs of celebration we have never seen before, nor since as the people hurried to retrieve the food from the sky. People waved at the planes, flags were everywhere, and we had no doubt that the effort had been appreciated. 
Each package seemed to have a recipient soon after it hit the ground, no matter where it landed. Norman Coates, a belly turret gunner, wrote in his diary, On May the 3rd there was another Mercy mission to Holland, very low altitude. I believe I must have waved at everyone in Holland. The great fields of tulips are beautiful. They had thank you spelled out with rocks. They could see me waving at them because they would point at each other and bring attention to it. Some of them had American flags waving. Despite the best efforts of Operation Manor and Chowhound, it is estimated that 22,000 people starved to death during the hunger winter. 3,100 flights were made by Bomber Command and a further 2,200 by the American Air Force. They dropped 11,000 tonnes of food before the German surrender allowed other, better ways of feeding the deprived Dutch people. A poem was written about the life-saving flights. An aeroplane skims over the land, the low country called Holland. Country of hunger, persecution and sorrow. In the streets, people gaze at the sky. An aeroplane circles around. The pilots drop their food. People cry. People cheer to the skies. Food. 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 I can't help but think of how... I don't know, similar it is to perhaps what may be occurring here in the next week uh, after the aftermath of this huge hurricane that's about to hit Florida. Oh, yes, uh, absolutely, Jeff. Uh, you know, the, the these major catastrophes, whether they're human created or a natural disaster, affect so many people. And, uh, you know, whether it affects millions or thousands or even hundreds for those involved it's a it's a, just as big a tragedy yeah and you know with these horrible tragedies uh we sometimes see the the best in human behavior absolutely and uh you know i i, I think it was so nice for those guys uh there was one guy there who had flown 39 bomber missions so he he was had run out of luck, really. You think about it, because it was so rare for those uh, crews to survive that many missions. But they flew their last flights, many of them, uh, in their Lancasters before the war ended, and they never flew again. Um, flying those life-saving missions, it must have been quite wonderful to, you know, not be dropping bombs and not be killing people, but just be taking food to the starving Dutch people and and hope that they might save some lives. Yeah, absolutely. Another outstanding Plain Tales. Thank you. Um, By the way, uh, we had mentioned that we're going to have a separate Plain Tales feed and page on the website. We are working on it. It's just uh, I didn't realize how many of these things you've done. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I know. It's taking a lot of time. (laughs) They're slowly creeping up in number, aren't they? There's quite a few. Not quite as many as the actual APG episodes, but still quite a few. So uh, we'll let you know, uh, hopefully um, soon, uh, that will be uh, live. Um, let's see. Speaking of um, 
tragedies and tragedies to come and storms and that kind of thing. Uh, Dave quickly wrote in, with Irma coming towards Florida, where would Acme send their planes? Do they go to Acme Hub airports or are other airports willing to take planes for a time being? Um, most of them go to the, the hubs of the various airlines uh, because they usually have space for extra airplanes. But, you know, if they run out, then they will find airports that do have extra space. So that would be my answer for that. Um, let's see. Oh, and I want to make sure I get this in before we end the show. Um, Pilot Armando writes in, he says, Hey, Captain Jeff, Nick, Dana, and Steph. Just wanted to take a moment to highlight the upcoming Reno Championship Air Races from the 13th through the 17th of September. So that's just in uh, a few days. I encourage everyone to come out and see a full week of good racing and some beautiful aircraft. The teams are incredibly varied, with some having tremendous resources, uh, a.k.a. money, to ones like ours that scrounge together lawn chairs, coolers, cases of oil, and all our savings to try and give the big boys a run for their money. I'll be out there with Team Bad Dingo and the Race 56 Lancer 360. Any APGs out there, swing by and say hi. And uh, I'll include a, a beautiful photo that uh, he sent in his his message of, uh, I guess this is him, or somebody on the team anyway flying this uh, beautiful airplane at some air race. I'm assuming it's the Reno Air Race. I've never been there myself. Uh, I would like to go and do that sometime. I'm not going to be there this year. But if anybody listening uh, is uh, thinking about heading out to the Reno Air Races, please look for Armando, Pilot Armando. And he's with the uh, Team Bad Dingo in the Race 56 Lancer 360. That looks like great fun. It does. And let's see. Oh, this is this is an interesting one. Captain Nick, I have no idea if this is uh, a bunch of BS fake news or if it's real, but uh, I'll read it anyway. Thomas says, hey, Captain Jeff and the rest of the crew, I just stumbled across this article. Thought you may find it interesting. If possible, it would also be appreciated if you were able to elaborate on the contents of this article. Um, so the article he sends is flight secrets revealed. Hmm. What a flashing seatbelt sign really means. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Um, flashing seatbelt signs on a plane have recently been revealed to mean this terrifying problem on board. Waiting for the seatbelt sign to be turned off is, uh, the first things passengers do when a plane is taking off. I'd say most people don't even pay attention to it actually. Anyway, um, <laughs> however, it can also mean something else entirely, depending on how it's lit up. A flight attendant recently revealed that if any travelers see the sign is flashing during takeoff or landing, it could mean something else entirely. The true meaning is somewhat terrifying to realize. What? Yeah, Annie Strand, a cabin crew member, wrote on an online forum Quora what it actually means. She commented, quote, this means the situation is so severe that the pilots don't even have time to inform us that we're doing a safety landing, a nice word for evacuation or emergency. If I see this, it means that we're approximately 30 seconds from impacting with the ground and who knows what happens next. In that 30 seconds, I have to pull all my fear of dying aside and yell, bend down, as my life depended on it. It's not the only... T okay, so... 
Is, <laughs> I, I, what? I don't even know how you flash. The, do, you, do you have the capability, uh, Nick, to flash the seatbelt sign over well, and over? Yeah, we, we, we used to use it. At, or we we use actually it as a signal, yes. we So we flick it on and off Yeah, uh, as a signal. Uh, so we flick it on and off before we line up as a signal that we're um, needing that final uh, indication that yeah. the cabin is secure. Yeah. And um, that's, that's, that's about no, the only No, I time. think you're hiding something. <laughs> I think you know that she's <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, then. All right, then. Um, uh, sorry, uh, Thomas. Annie Strand, so-called flight crew member, cabin crew member, um, is is pulling your chain? Well, we we do it again at five thousand feet to indicate that we're at five thousand feet, and they've yeah. got about like ten minutes to get the cabin secure. Yeah, I mean, but the cabin should already be secure. But it's just a reminder that that now now's the time to finish your final preparations for landing. So we use a, a either the no smoking light or sometimes it's a labeled chime, and we use that chime going through ten thousand feet when we're climbing. And then we also use that uh, when we're going back down, descending through 10,000 feet to give them approximately 10 minutes notice before landing. But um, it's the seatbelt sign. The only thing we use that for is just to let them know that it's okay to get out of your seat. <laughs> safe, safe to <laughs> well, get we, out of your we, seat. We, you flick it on and off. The, yeah. You do it so fast that the light actually doesn't really change. Yeah. But it, it, it gives a double chime. Right. But I mean, does the actual light actually flash? Well, it would do if you if you're watching it. Yeah, but only for a you know the time it takes to go flick flick. That's less than half a second. I need to get a I need to get a a fake news sound effect (laughs) because we're getting a lot of fake news lately. (laughs) Exactly right. So now because because it happens on almost every airline. Now we do it for different airlines because at different reasons because every airline has its own standard operating procedures. So obviously ours and yours differ. You yeah. do different heights right. and for different points. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I can just imagine that if any poor passenger reading this, uh, every airline they fly on, they, she's going to think they're about to die. Oh gosh, we're going to be- oh, we're about to die. Thirty is- seconds. We have thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, you and I laugh, but I mean, I, they they must be they would be terrified. I, I think oh. this is so irresponsible. This car. This article goes on. It's not the only terrifying code that could reveal something sinister on board. Pilots have a secret way of warning a hijacking is taking place. What? A distress code of 7500 is sent through an electronic device called a transponder to signal any unlawful interference. Called squawking, it's a silent signal to avoid alerting the the hijacker. Great. Well, now they've just blown it. Now everybody knows. What are we going to do now? We're going to have to think of something else. Think of a new number. Okay. Uh fake news. Thank you, Thomas. Sorry you had to yeah. read that and no we Where did uh, this come from? Um that is a good question. Express.co.uk. Express. Do you know who We're the, not impressed in Express. No. Um hey uh, Nick, Rob is uh sucking up to you, I think, for some reason. He says, uh, hi Nick. In November, my wife and I will be traveling from Oz to the U.S. We will be flying Acme Red Atlantic, only ever having flown Acme Domestic and loving the service. 
See, he's he's sucking up. Uh, my question is, do you know the best way of getting an upgrade? I've asked when checking in with Singapore Airlines, but never had any luck when yeah. we were uh, fly to the UK. I'm hoping that fly Acme... with British Airways. That's the best <laughs> way. <laughs> I'm hoping that Acme Red will be different. <laughs> but the procedure to, to gaining the elusive ticket remains a mystery. So all you have to do is say, hey, I know Captain Nick. Exactly right. Yeah. You'll get a free Actually, upgrade. You know, there, I, I know uh, a guaranteed way to get an upgrade. Pay extra? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'll do yeah, it. You, you fork out about like £6,000 <laughs> if you're on an upper class seat and about uh, £3,000, £2,000 if you want an premium economy it's only money rob exactly come on uh, can't i mean to be fair we uh, upgrades are possible uh and they usually occur when uh, the economy cabin is full and uh, there's still lots of space in the premium and uh, and upper cabins now the way to uh in theory to get one and uh, i uh, i only offer this as a Fate possibility is to first of all pitch up well well dressed, um, then uh, make sure you're uh, there at the back of the queue so that uh, all the economy seats uh, will have people will have checked in and got their seats and the economy cabin might be full, and then when you pitch up, uh, they might look and go well the everyone's checked in for economy, uh, we're a bit overbooked. Uh, so perhaps uh, we might uh, upgrade the last few passengers. And if you're well enough dressed and you're pleasant enough and you don't ask for it because the last thing you want to do is actually ask for it because then the, you're, you're not likely to get it because people go, well, if you ask for it, I'm not going to give it to you. Um, then you might get upgraded. Uh, oh, so that's a good idea. That, that's the only, the only thought is so, so – don't pitch up too late because you'll won't <laughs> you get on the flight. damn flight. <laughs> so it requires subtle timing to make sure that you're sort of at the back of the queue. You're still on time, but all the economy seats might buy now have been filled. And then uh, they go, well, the only place we could now possibly seat you is in a premium or upper. It requires finesse. Exactly right. And I do not guarantee it, and uh, I do not recommend it either. Okay. Also, on your last podcast, you talked about Crocs, and it came across that they are everywhere. I had a friend ring me from the UK saying, is this true? <laughs> yeah, yes. The Crocs <laughs> are only in the north from Townsville on the east coast up and Broome on the west coast. <laughs> okay. That's pretty much everywhere. <laughs> well, it's the kind of northern half. That's, that's when yeah. we kind of blew armed. Yeah, that'd be about right. Well, Rob is, uh, you know, again, making our accuracy rating go down thank you rob uh, we were pretty good yeah pretty close uh jeff yeah, i think we, we're about right also in the last pad podcast you talked about pronouncing words correctly how it bugs you that people don't do this and it's your pet hate and <laughs> I, put in, I said hate is a very strong word more like a pet peeve anyway well as i've written in before turban turbine is not pronounced turban only kidding. We know how you septic tanks stuff up English. Wow. <laughs> he called us septic tanks. No, no, he called you septic tanks. Oh, okay. I have wow. <laughs> Rob, where's the love? Yeah. I Where know. is the love? Poor Jeff. Gosh. 
Come on, Come Nick. on, Nick. He says pull, pull them, them in a line. line. Yeah, well, <laughs> I do my best, old chap. But, you know, it, it's, it's only a certain amount you can do. <laughs> the show only lasts three hours. I mean, it's a lost cause. For like 20 hours a day, <laughs> I could perhaps do something. But maybe. Probably not. Maybe. He says, love the show. Come back, crickets. We miss you. Yeah, I, we know how you feel. And uh, finally, our last bit of feedback in the, in the feedback folder. Um, good afternoon, ladies and gents. I've started listening to your super show, courtesy of Captain Nick. He and I work at the same company, Acme Red. And I overheard him talking about the show some time ago and have turned in or tuned in ever since. My question is mainly based towards Jeff and Nick. Oh, how appropriate. As two well-experienced captains, in other words, old guys, how do you judge your first officer's ability or experience? Not well. <laughs> oh. well no, just kidding. Um, he says, I asked this question as I will be 28 years old next month. And I was lucky in my youth to be offered a cadetship with a well-known Middle Eastern airline started at the ripe old age of 19. Wow. That's young. Can Making assumptions of one's ability based upon their age also hamper communication later in the day or trip even. What are your thoughts on this? Happy flying as always, Mike. Hmm. And um, I, I basically wrote that back to Mike saying, we're not going to answer this because we don't reply to questions from youngsters. That's <laughs> right, from children. <laughs> <laughs> I did well, not. I really didn't do that. Happy uh, at home. I'll chat. Uh, so what, I mean, have you, have you flown with uh, really, really young guys? Probably not too often at your, your not for many years. Quite yeah. If I think, uh, I mean, most of the guys in our company have been with one, two, perhaps even three airlines. So uh, the guy I flew with today has been to the company six months, but he, uh, has did like 20 years in the air force. Okay. So not new guys then. How about young guys? Well, uh, no, not really. There, there are very few young guys. Okay, I mean, uh, I, I'm talking about in their early twenties, right? I so uh, if I saw one, I'd be going, "Heaven's sake, where have you come from?" <laughs> no, if, you've, if you've been watching that uh, series on BBC, the uh, EasyJet. Oh uh, yes, if I saw one of those on my flight, those way, guys I'd are like, going, "Well, you know what?" And I've, I've actually. Hey. No, no, don't flown, touch the controls. I've flown <laughs> with a couple of guys that like look that young, and it's it, it, it takes you aback at first, and you go, "Wow, you know, does this guy even shave yet?" Um, yeah. But you know, I don't, I, I really don't try to prejudge anybody's um, abilities based on how young they look. And actually, it turns out that some of the guys that I've flown with lately that were very, very young looking were very, very good pilots. So. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover, I guess they say. So. <laughs> um, yeah, you're quite right, Jeff. I'm I'm an, I'm an ejected. Um, yeah, you're quite right. Um, I've flown with guys of uh, all sorts of ages, all sorts of experience. Uh, some of the trainers that uh, now do my simulators are considerably younger than I am. But they're obviously very good at the job and uh, they do a, you know, uh, they're very professional and, um, you know, it's, it's all good. Mm -hmm. uh, and I still think of myself as a, as a young man, which is kind of silly, but there you go. Um, 
So when I see a young first officer, I look at him, I think, well, he's about the same age as me. Yeah, I know <laughs> what you mean. I, I can't tell you how, how many times I've gone to work and walking into the pilot lounge, st- still feeling like I'm a new hire. Yeah. Until recently, like the last couple of years. And then I'm thinking to myself, you know, I catch glimpses of myself going by the mirror, you know, and my, my beer belly and my gray hair. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm not that, a new hire. That man in that window. And then that guy, you know, those guys looking at me like, come on, old, old fart. It's time to retire. Get out of our way. You're hampering our career. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> You're sitting in my seat. Yeah. Get out of my seat. Yeah. Bird. Exactly. But uh, no, I think we can, uh, we can all, uh, everyone that comes to work for our airlines is going to be well-trained. They're going to hold a a license. And to me, that is the, you know, the piece of paper that qualifies you to sit in that seat and do the job. It's not for me to judge you um, because, you know, if you hold the license, you should be able to do the job. Uh, And if you can't, then uh, there's some problem there. So very rarely uh, do I ever see uh, a first officer who doesn't look like he's just the man for the job. And they're all brilliant. So even the young ones. So uh, it's great. So now it's time to talk about how you can learn more about the show by heading over to the AirlinePilotGuy.com website. There you'll find information about the show, the crew, the community, uh, the coffee fund, merchandise, and so much more. And soon, the uh, the special Plain Tales feed as well. So get on over there. And social media, you want to say something about that, Captain Nick? Yeah, absolutely. We're on uh, Facebook, which is uh, uh, the Facebook, usual Facebook code, uh, facebook.com forward slash airline pilot guy. We're on Twitter, and uh, we go under the handle at APG Crew. And, of course, we also have uh, that fantastic app that uh, you can download from uh, iTunes or an Android equivalent that will give you uh, access to all sorts of stuff, including the shows um, and uh, all other bits and bobs to do with us. And so did you say anything about uh, Slack at all? Uh, no, I didn't. I think we're waiting for Hillel to jump out of the, the back in the box. Can you can you help us out? APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan meetups and events. To get into the Slack team, please send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at HI11E1, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel at HI11E1, and see you in Slack. Thanks, Hillel! All right. He does a good job, didn't he? He does. I mean, he must get a lot of in, uh, requests all the time. <laughs> he does. He does. And uh, let's see, what else? Uh, we talked about social media, the website, the apps, and uh, that's about all I can think of. So without uh, further ado, I think it's time for us to say, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Thanks for listening. Goodbye, everybody. And happy birthday, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. Good day.
I used to be such a good, good pilot Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, guy I fly Statements, views, and opinions expressed on the Airline Pilot Guy podcast may not represent the views, opinions, or policies of any airline, real or fictionalized, mentioned, implied, or accidentally slipped by any of the participants, guests, or feedback providers you may or may not have heard, may or may not believe you may have heard, on this or any prior episode of the Airline Pilot Guy podcast.